evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Very excited to be with you on our final regular show of 2023. Cannot believe how fast this year went by. I say regular show because we're going to do a special like New Year's Eve type of thing coming up in the next couple of days. More information on that later on today's show. But man, we got football, we got some basketball loaded, jam-packed show on tap for you guys. Now, about to get into the Jets and Browns game last night. Two organizations that are very obviously going into very, very different directions. I'll start with the Jets, but I will discuss Joe Flacco and what the Browns are proving. They just clinched a playoff spot yesterday, much to my chagrin as a Steelers fan, but I got to give props where it's due. And something that they're showing and a growing truth in the NFL as we're seeing right now I'll get to that on today's show in about 10 minutes or so. Also going to get into Dak Prescott and the Cowboys' big-time matchup coming up against the Detroit Lions and why we actually are underrating what Dak has done, not just in his career, but this season in particular, what he's had to overcome just to put the Cowboys in a position to be playoff contenders or super, forget playoff contenders, the, the standards much higher in Dallas, Super Bowl contenders. Very excited to get into that. Also, Russell Wilson and the Broncos look to be heading for a uh, pretty ugly divorce. And uh, what is Russell Wilson's market? And really, breaking down the entire situation as a whole, did the Broncos do, Russ, do Russell dirty? What's Russell's market look like for 2024, assuming he gets released? And that's ultimately what the reports are indicating, as well as briefly, in about 50 minutes or so, I'll touch on my Golden State Warriors. We just lost the Miami Heat last night, and something I'm growing very, very concerned about in Golden State, it's not just the losing, which of course is frustrating in and of itself, but something else that is very, very troubling to me right now uh it looks like we got a comment here from my man patrick patrick is always good for the the the, the good bars uh from time to time he said okay he's spelling jets as an acronym okay so he's got j-e-t-s as in just in the season i'll tell you man my man patrick is quick with those ponzi's you can check out his great content on the grid network's website uh he writes some great pieces for us. shout out patrick uh, as well as everybody else at the grid but first I'll talk about the Browns. I'll talk about Joe Flacco, Kevin Stefanski, Miles Garrett, and company in about 10 minutes. I did want to discuss the Jets, though, because I won't have that many opportunities to do so in the coming weeks. Obviously, they're 6-10 and 10 out of playoff contention, and we kind of figured this would be the case once Aaron Rodgers went down four plays into the season. Wait a minute. Wait a Wait, sorry. I, 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 when I got too ahead of myself. I need to fill a certain requirement before I speak on the New York Jets. Bryson Garver, sophomore in college. Twice vaccinated, once boosted. Okay, now I can talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Just need to fill that little requirement. For those of you maybe that didn't see Aaron Rodgers' appearance in the McAfee show, uh, you know. Jets fans, and I'm addressing Jets fans. I know some in my life, some that are very, very near and dear to me. Great friends. You cannot possibly believe that Aaron Rodgers is just going to patch all these holes in 2024. Matter of fact, I'm here to tell you, it's actually going to be worse next year than it was this year. You're saying, wait, tell me about Bryson. You're telling me a team with Trevor Simeon and Zach Wilson and Tim Boyle and all these, the quarterback carousel that we've come to know and not love so much with the New York Jets, it's going to be worse next year? Well, yes. They'll win more games next year, I assume. The Jets, after all, do play the Patriots next week. Who Honestly, both fan bases are probably cool with, with their organizations and their teams losing that game for draft positioning, so that game's virtually irrelevant. We'll say the Jets finish around six to seven wins, okay? I anticipate they'll win more in 2024. It's certainly not a guarantee, but I certainly feel that to be the case. 
But you're telling me, just from an on-field perspective with Aaron Rodgers, that he's going to be 40 years old, coming off of an Achilles surgery at his age. He's going to come back and be just like the old Aaron Rodgers. Is he? Because if you look at Aaron Rodgers' last full year with the Green Bay Packers, it wasn't that great. And he dealt with injuries that season. Well, you like you know, people are like, oh, you can't, you can't take that into account. I can when you're that age. When you're that at this advanced age and stage of your career, it's kind of like what I talk about the Phoenix Suns. Well, you got to give them the chance to play with Bradley Beal. Okay, I'll give him a chance when Bradley Beal gets on the floor, which unfortunately has not been the case. Once injuries become a part of your you know, you're not just reputation, reputation, but your reality, I have to judge you based off that, the Kawhi Leonard syndrome to a certain degree. But if you look at Aaron Rodgers' numbers, his last year in Green Bay, by the way, better run organization, defense is at least comparable to this year's Jets, maybe not from a names perspective, but it was fine, especially at the end of the year, the Packers' defense was good. Uh, I will take Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and the tight end they had last year, not to mention Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, that offensive line, over what the Jets have. Jets, it's Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, and a bunch of nut. Offensive line's atrocious, not even close to what Green Bay's was. And yet and still, in the weaker conference, Aaron Rodgers led the Packers to an 8-9 record. Threw for 26 touchdown passes and 12 picks. Not a great touchdown-to-interception ratio, uh, at least by his very lofty standards in that regard. And had a passer rating in the low 90s. He's a good quarterback. And this again, this is pre-Achilles surgery. This is with a better offense. He's fine. He's, he's a good quarterback. He's a playoff, not that year, but he's a guy who can get you to the playoffs. But this is not the same Aaron Rodgers who's winning all those MVPs. That's just on the field. Oh, off the field and in the locker room. And even in terms of the personnel from a roster perspective and from a coaching perspective. The goal when Aaron Rodgers joined the New York Jets was to, as Aaron Rodgers put it, Add to what was a lonely Lombardi trophy all the way back in the late 60s when Joe Namath guaranteed the Jets would win a championship. They beat the Baltimore Colts. I uh, forget, that was it 16-6 to 6 was the final score? It was a low-scoring game, obviously. It was a different time back then. The Jets haven't won since. And Aaron said in his press conference, that's a lonely trophy. We need to add to it. Great expectations to have, right? Going for championships. Well, as currently constructed, unless Aaron, and I don't anticipate this happens, changes his mindset and philosophy drastically, hopefully without the help of ayahuasca, I don't see it happening. I have been a Robert Sala defender uh, for the vast majority of the show. And the, and the one thing I've said about Robert Sala is the bare minimum of a head coach, of a, 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 at least a good head coach in the NFL, and I'm not even sure Robert Sala is that, is your side of the ball needs to be good. Robert Sala is a defensive coach. Last night, notwithstanding, Jets defense has been pretty good. Jets defense is talented. They have Sauce Gardner. They have the Williams brothers, C.J. Mills. I mean, the Jets have a, it's, it's why a lot of people liked them this season. It's what kept them in a lot of games last year and even this year. Jets have a really good and talented defense. Robert Sala deserves credit for that. Remember, he was the defensive, court, defensive coordinator with the Niners. Now, we know the Niners roster is loaded, but it helps have a good defensive coordinator, which Sala was. So Sala's side of the ball is good. But... The stat I saw today, I should say a couple stats I saw today that are quite troubling if you're Robert Sala. Into since he took the job, 2021 was his first season with the Jets as the head coach. Since he took the job in December and January, which we know that's when the games matter. That's when uh, uh, opposing coaches have tape on your team. They can look at your tendencies and judge you and, and, and adjust accordingly. 
The Jets are 3-14, and 14, last in the NFL. They have a negative 139-point differential. This is in January, I'm sorry, uh, December, January. So last games of the year. Point differential, negative 139, last in the NFL. They average 15.6 points per game, last in the NFL, and have a turnover differential of negative 13, also last in the NFL. And assuming Robert Sala does retain his job, which the reports say Woody Johnson have given him and the GM Joe Douglas the okay, the good to go, it would be darn near unprecedented that he keeps his job. I'll tell you why. Coaches that have lost their that have lost 10 or more games in three straight seasons, okay? This is in the last quarter century. Coaches that have lost 10 or more games in three straight years of their tenure. Mike Ditka, fired by the Saints. Dave Cambo, fired by the Cowboys. Dennis Green, fired by the Cardinals. Chan Gailey, fired by the Bills. Gus Bradley retained his job, but was fired midway through the next year by the Jaguars. John Fox, fired by the Bears. Todd Bowles, fired by the Jets. Doug Marone, fired by the Jaguars. So it's in the last 25 years in sort of the modern NFL, it is incredibly difficult to keep your job if you lose 10 consecutive games. I'm sorry, 10, 10 or more games in three consecutive seasons. It's almost impossible. Robert Sala, it appears that will be the case. That's fine. Will he be getting a huge upgrade at the quarterback position? Again, with all due respect to Sala, that's not where he specializes. He's a defensive guy. You know who does specialize offensively? Nat Hackett. Boy, I'll tell you what. Nat Hackett, you brought him in from the Jets. He had a great resume with the Denver Broncos, huh? Russell Wilson had by far, we'll get into Russ later in the show. Russell Wilson had by a mile the worst season of his career. Sean Payton comes in. Russ ain't bad. Not great, but he's not bad. Not, not unwatchable. All of a sudden, you sit back and say, now what do we do? Nathaniel Hackett has a terrible track record as a play caller in this league. But Aaron likes him. So do we appease Aaron and keep the guy who's objectively awful? Or do we move on from him, get an upgrade, but piss off Aaron? Welcome to the Green Bay Packers experience over the last decade. Or at least half decade. That's what it's been. That's what the Jets signed up for. I don't know if Randall Cobb or Alan Lazard or guys like that will be back. I'm sure Tim Boyle will be back, even though he's, I mean, no, I mean this in the nicest way possible, does not belong in the NFL. Don't know if those guys will be back, but I should have caught this. And I did initially, and I backed off in June. Shouldn't have. I regret that. When Aaron Rodgers is running the organization, which he very obviously is, otherwise Sala is gone, Joe Douglas is gone, Nat Hackett is definitely gone, this is what you get. And you hear Aaron Rodgers toying with the idea, let's bring in Devontae Adams. Well, listen, Devontae is better than all the Jets receivers. Garrett Wilson, we can maybe have an argument because Devontae's numbers aren't great this year. In his defense, he hasn't had great quarterback play. But he's just trying to remake the Green Bay Packers, and they have not won a playoff game since 2020. So, you tell me. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is going to come back. and just going to magically fix everything. I have a incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult uh, time believing that. All right. We got some comments, and I'll move on to the Browns because they deserve credit. Even from a Steelers fan, they do. Patrick Brown says, guys, Aaron Rodgers wanted took up roster spots. That was cap space the Jets could have used to keep rocket fuel flying high, but it sputtered in a spiral out of wings reach. He also says, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Adrian Amos. New York is not trading for space Dobbs. 
uh, Joshua Dobbs, obviously, my man, or signing Joe Flacco came back to bite them. Letting Mike White go stings even more. And I'll get into Joe Flacco in just a moment with the Browns because um, it's an interesting topic, but it's... We knew it was going to be difficult from the outset. Even when Aaron Rodgers had a very sunny disposition, was enjoying New York and going to the Tony Awards and Taylor Swift concerts and all the... Went to Madison Square Garden. I don't think he went to Yankee. He might have went to Yankee State. I can't remember. He went all the all these athletic events. Seemed to be really enjoying New York. Teammates seemed to really be liking him. I remember Alan Lazard actually had a quote along those lines that he had like a very different outlook. But Aaron coming back, the expectations, well... You know, we'll give you a pass last year because he didn't have Aaron, but for four snaps, it's going to fix everything. Yes, a 40-year-old egomaniacal quarterback who is (laughs) the biggest, and I can, listen, y'all know I'm not a Skip Bayless guy in the slightest, but Skip Bayless is a great quote about Aaron Rodgers, master media manipulator. That's what he does, whether it's on Pat McAfee's show or otherwise. I I love this too. Then we'll move on to the Browns. I, I loved this. Um... That Aaron on the McAfee show, (laughs) he thinks he's slick, was saying that, hey, it was never my call uh, to to join the 53-man roster, even though our season was done. That wasn't my call. That was Robert Sala came to me and said, we're going to promote you to the 53-man roster. It was never my idea. Bull, you know what, Aaron? You've been talking about for three months you're going to come back. You're going to lead this playoff chase at the end of the season. But then when it's time to come back, I mean, no, we're, we're, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to take anybody's roster spot. You're going to take somebody's roster spot. They're coming back anyway, doofus. Really? It, we, we don't buy that nonsense. It, it, you know, listen, Aaron is the type of dude, again, manipulative. He plays you for a fool. He does. Uh, I mean, come on. Uh, uh, Lord. And he said, only reason people don't like me is because of my vaccines. Baloney. You know how many athletes didn't take the vaccine? And, and listen, I, I've, I've, I think my stance on that two years ago is pretty clear. But listen, everybody has the right to do what they want to do with their own bodies. Obviously, of course, I agree with that. There's a lot of athletes who didn't get the vaccine. And they're, gen- and they're universally loved. Myself included. I mean, I'm not a thousand percent sure Lamar Jackson took the vaccine. I'm the biggest Lamar Jackson fan out there. You know, people don't like Aaron. I almost use a, a, another word, but I'll, I'll, I'll put that aside for a moment. He's kind of a jerk. Let's be honest. Leadership skills have come into question for years now from former Packers teammates. And, you know, Brian Gutekunst, I, I understand he's not in a great spot with Jordan Love and the Packers are on the verge of missing the playoffs. But he's got to be sitting back and looking at this and seeing, yeah, see what I've been dealing with for a while now? Matt LaFleur could be saying the same thing, but especially Gutekunst, the GM of the Packers. I'm just saying. Yeah, he plays us for fools. That's that's what a lot of manipulative people do. All right, let's transition to the Browns now. Cleveland's very excited. Um, first time, by the way, first time since uh, the first year of George H. W. Bush's administration. Not not W. Not W. Old Texas W. No 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 no. His dad. First year of his administration is the last time until this year, that the Browns have finished above the Steelers in the standings. So we need to have a parade in Cleveland. We need to get all that, all, all the floats and roll it past Lake Erie and have a celebration. Man, you, you'd think, uh, given the chance in, inside of inside the dog pound that uh, they've overtaken the Steelers. Well, this season, yeah, not in general. But uh, we'll put that aside. I will give the Browns a ton of credit in this regard. 
is that Joe Flacco comes in and he's been one of the great stories of the NFL season, comes off his couch. We, we think he's done. And it's, let's be honest, there's a lot of revisionist history. There is. I, I'm not going to be the guy to come out here and say, oh, what were the Jets not uh, thinking about letting Joe Flacco go and the, the Broncos letting Joe Flacco go? The last, if you go back, so so obviously he was the starting quarterback in 2018 before in Baltimore, as he you know he was there for a long time before Lamar took over. Okay, so Joe Flacco was the guy Lamar took over, and the and and then the Broncos end up making the move for Flacco. Okay, I'm not going to act like Joe Flacco was the star that everybody missed out on that the Browns just so happened to see something in. Obviously, they saw something, but uh, 2019, Joe Flacco. If I can pull this up here, yeah, Joe Flacco had a passer rating of. Do we have it here? 85. He's fine. He's fine. With the Jets in 2020, he had a pass rating of 80. 2021 had a pass rating in two starts. Again, two starts of 113. 2022 had a pass rating of 75. This year, 90. So Joe Flacco comes back and all of a sudden looks like the 2012 Joe Flacco. Matter of fact, I saw a stat today that his numbers in his four starts are almost identical to his playoff numbers in 2012 when the Ravens won the Super Bowl. And we know Joe Flacco. I always compared Joe Flacco to Madison Bumgarner. Remember Madison Bumgarner for the San Francisco Giants? Like, very good pitcher, but turn, turned into freaking Sandy Koufax in the postseason. It was unbelievable. Joe Flacco was the same way. He would have some good to pretty good to even very good regular season and then just turn into Brady once January rolled, rolled around in, in one year, one year's case, February. So Joe Flacco loves the end of these seasons. I have had a saying for two years on carving it up. And as we approach a new year, it's going to be three, is that it's a quarterback's league. That you can have the great defense, you can have the talented roster and the receivers and the offensive line, run game, et cetera. You cannot win a Super Bowl. You can't win a Super Bowl. You have a 0% chance to win a Super Bowl if you do not have a great quarterback, or at least a quarterback who has one great run, see Nick Voles in 2017. You can't win without great quarterback play. Not good, great. A-plus stuff. You can't do it. It's a quarterback's league. I am seriously, at least the Browns, what they're showing, and even some other teams like the Rams with Stafford and McVay, I am seriously considering revising that just a little bit and saying it's a quarterback and head coach league. And in particular creative offensive coaches league. See, what Kevin Stefanski has done is literally unprecedented. In NFL history, we have never seen a team make the playoffs. I think I read this correctly. We have never seen a team who's either win double-digit games, make the playoffs, one of the two, and have four quarterbacks start that season. Browns did it. They had Deshaun, then they had P.J. Walker, then they had DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, now they have Joe Flacco. And crazy enough, not only the Browns in the playoffs, they have an outside shot to win their division. And crazy enough, it's it's not going to happen, but it still has a chance of happening, a minuscule chance, but a chance of getting the one seed despite starting four quarterbacks. So Kevin Stefanski deserves an incredible amount of the credit. This is something that we're seeing in today's NFL is that because I've heard sort of the narrative like, hey, you got to have an offensive coach to be successful. I think that needs more context. You Listen, you can have a defensive coach and be successful. I mean, heck, you, you know, look what the Vegas Raiders are doing with the interim head coach, Antonio Pierce. Antonio Pierce is making a darn strong case that he should be the full-time guy. Sean McDermott, once again, has the Bills in position to potentially make the playoffs once again, as, and they're getting hot at the end of the season. 
You can have a defensive coach so long as you have a creative offensive coordinator. Truly believe that. And there's a lot of great defensive, I'm sorry, offensive coordinators out there. Ben Johnson, Eric Bieniemy, plenty of dudes out there that are capable of taking over that job for a defensive head coach and getting the most out of your offense, getting the most out of your quarterback. Because see, if it is a quarterback's league, which it is, how, how then do we get the most out of what we have at the position? Well, you have a creative offensive mind like Kevin Stefanski. Let's say it was, and I'm, let's be honest, Mike Tomlin, my guy, coached the Browns, and Joe Flacco was the quarterback. Would he look like this? Now, Mike Tomlin does not specialize in offense, but employs somebody who can. See, I think you can have a defensive head coach in the NFL. Just have a good offensive coordinator. Look at the Buffalo Bills. Look at Josh Allen with Brian Dable. Sean McDermott was that coach. Did a good job. But Brian Dable, being the offensive mastermind he is, got the absolute most to the point where we were considering, is Josh Allen better than Patrick Mahomes? We were, ha we were having those questions. I mean, even after that playoff game, even after the Chiefs won and Mahomes played unbelievable, a lot of folks came out of that game saying, yeah, Josh Allen outplayed Mahomes and might be better than Mahomes. I think he was the MVP favorite coming into that next season after Dable had already left. Now, Josh is a, a remarkable talent, but it didn't hurt to have a creative offensive play designer. Mahomes is phenomenal. Would he have looked that way in Chicago? Probably not. Conversely, would, and I, Mahomes the best quarterback in the league. Would Justin Fields be more productive in Kansas City in years past, not this year? Or San Francisco, let's say San Francisco, then in Chicago? And I'm not even the biggest Fields guy. Coaching does matter. And so what you're seeing, listen, I picked Dan Campbell before the year started to be my coach of the year uh, with the Lions. I still feel like he's got a great chance to, to win that award. I think he's done an unbelievable job with this Detroit team. Man, it's hard not to argue Stefanski. I, I think Shane Steichen in Indianapolis has a good case as well, especially if the Colts make the playoffs. Well, Kevin Stefanski did this year. Again, Nick Chubb went down. They've lost offensive linemen, the key offensive linemen this season. Amari Cooper, who had 265 yards receiving on Sunday, didn't even play last night. And Joe Flacco at 300 yards at halftime against a great defense. Nothing against Joe Flacco. That's coaching. So maybe, listen, we're all going to make New Year's resolutions and change, try and change certain things about our, our lifestyle potentially and you know, whatever situation you're in. I may have to revise a long-time opinion of mine. It's not just a quarterback's league. It's a quarterback, and it sounds a little clunky. Maybe I can revise this a little bit, but it's a quarterback slash creative offensive coach league. And that can be offensive coordinator. That can be head coach. But you see what Jared Goff's doing with Ben Johnson? Jared Goff's a good quarterback. Jared Goff is like that friend around that 9, 10 to 12, 9, 10, 11, 12 area of quarterbacks. Would he be doing this in New York with the Jets? These are legitimate questions to ask. I don't know. The way I look at it, it's, 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 it's interesting. Let's see what we got here. Hang on. Ah, excuse me. Dealing with some connection issues. I got my monitor up here. So, <clears throat> so I apologize for that. Patrick Brown, Cleveland Browns gift. Write whatever check to keep Kevin Stefanski as their head coach. That would be the gift Santa Chaos gave them. Brown's defense has been historically great. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that because Miles Garrett has been unbelievable. My, uh, Brown's defense has been historically great. Regardless of who they play in the first round, it won't be an easy game by any means. And that's the thing. Like, that's a, 
that defense can keep them in any match. And now they're the five seed right now. They play Jacksonville, who's sputtering. Trevor's hurt. The, they got Christian Kirk gone. Zay Jones gone. Offensive line struggling. Like, that's... I would not be shocked if Cleveland were favoring that potential match. I mean, they just played a few weeks ago, albeit it was in Cleveland, and kind of smacked him around. And that was with Trevor on the field. And Trevor wasn't as beat up as he is now. So, basically, Browns, unless the Ravens just collapse and the Browns win the division, which I don't see happening... Browns will get the winner of the AFC South, which is easily the uh, the weakest division in the in the conference right now. So that that'll be a that'll be a very interesting matchup. I'll say this, and and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It doesn't, but I'll say this: if I'm Kansas City, I'd much rather draw Buffalo than Cleveland. I know Buffalo's had their success against Kansas City, but Buffalo's hot, cold, hot, cold. Listen, Joe Flacco is due for a really terrible game soon. Why? Because he's a backup quarterback. He's an older, immobile backup quarterback. And he's played well. I don't want to shortchange what he's doing. He's due for the bad game eventually. If you're a Chiefs fan, you kind of hope that that comes against you. Uh, I'll tell you what, though. I'd rather get Buffalo than Cleveland. Yeah, Patrick, Trevor will miss his first start as well on Sunday. Yeah, too little too late, Jacksonville. I'll detail that more when I get to my picks. The Jaguars play the Panthers this week. But this is, again, I've gone on and on about it, is is prime a prime example of quarterback mismanagement where Trevor is playing unbelievable, including in that game he got hurt against Cincinnati, goes down. They can't even get him a freaking cart. Even the 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 dysfunctional Jets get Aaron a cart. They said, Aaron, let's sit on a bench. We'll get you a cart. We'll take you to the locker room, give you an MRI, all that. They couldn't even do that for Trevor because they're a, a low-level organization. Then they play him next week with a with a messed up ankle six days later against the freaking Browns defense. Then they play him the next week against the Ravens defense. He gets concussed. Then they play him the week after that against the Red Hot Bucks. Then he injures his shoulder. Now he's not playing this week. What a shock. The ja- Jaguar season has gone to hell. I said, uh, listen, I know we're totally DVing the left field, but I'm glad you bring that up. Patrick in the comments, he's not playing this week. It's It's so simple. Love it. Rest him against the awesome Browns defense. Rest him against the awesome Ravens defense. The sky would not be falling. You'd be eight and six. You got a, a game against, uh, gosh, no, eight, eight and six, right? Yeah, eight and six. And then you've got the, the Buccaneers, which is a winnable game. Tampa's hot, but you have much more winnable game if Trevor's healthy, given how he'd been playing before the injury. You got a game against Tennessee, very winnable game. And then you, or is it, no, it's like Carolina, worst team in the league. And then they got Tennessee next week. You can go in the playoffs, 11 and six. Who knows? Maybe you steal a three seed. Maybe you steal a three seed from Kansas City the way the Chiefs are floundering. Instead, you're hanging on for dear life, hoping that CJ Bethard can keep you on top of the division with Stroud coming back for Houston. This is what poorly run organizations do, especially when they have great quarterbacks. Cincinnati did something very similar early in the season, and what the Jaguars did was a lot worse. This is what you get. This is what you get. I feel terrible for Trevor. Frankly, I feel terrible for Doug Peterson because I think Doug's an awesome coach. But this this is what you get. It was a fascinating game last night, though. And I'll tell you, (laughs) quarterbacks coach go a long way in this league. And Joe Flacco, I'm hearing, you know, what do they, what the Browns do with Joe Flacco if he, if he wins the division because obviously got the Deshaun contract looming. Listen. I don't know if you can move Deshaun. I'd certainly try. The best case scenario 
for for Cleveland again. It's their fault that they made the Deshaun, Deshaun move. I I have no sympathy for them in that regard because they they butchered it because that's Cleveland and that's what they do, especially with quarterbacks. But in a perfect world, you move Deshaun. I, I, I don't. God knows what the dead money will be. They'll they'll be paying Deshaun gazillions of dollars just not play for them. If somebody takes him, this is assuming somebody take on that took on that contract. You keep Flacco and then you draft a guy probably in the second round. That's that's what I would consider doing. Um, I don't know. Look, of course he's injured, but would you consider maybe taking Jordan Travis? Maybe. And listen, the Browns are the epitome. We talk about the Jets. I've talked about the Jets not getting the quarterback position right for years. The Browns can say the exact same thing. I don't know. In a perfect world, that's what you would hope for if you're a Browns fan. But interesting game last night. Let's transition now to the Dallas Cowboys. They have a really big matchup tomorrow that I will predict at the end of the show against the Detroit Lions. One of the more intriguing matchups of the NFL season because for Detroit, they clinched the division. They've won the NFC North for the first time in 30 years. So they're flying high, feeling really good about themselves as they should. And crazy enough, this is pretty wild. If the Lions went out and they play the Cowboys this week, which is a tough one, they're five-point underdogs, and then they, ble- they beat the Vikings at home next week, and then the Niners, who play the Commanders this week, come on, but then they play the Red Hot Rams next week, if the Niners split and the Lions went out, the Detroit Lions were the number one seed and get a first-round bye. So a lot of, there's a lot still on the line for Detroit. Now, if they, if they lose, San Francisco wins. It's pretty much over. So for so Detroit, it's, it's a meaningful game. For Dallas, their chance, their, their shot, the one seed is virtually gone. They, they, it's, it's darn near impossible. They'd have to win out. The Eagles would have to lose one game. The Niners would have to lose out, and I just don't see that happening. I don't see the Lions. I'm sorry, the Niners ending the year on a three-game losing streak, but you never know. Something could happen. But for Dallas, it's, it's this simple. And I said last week about the game against Miami, that game against Miami was way more about the one seed withstanding, or not withstanding. That game for Dallas was more about, can we beat a good team on the road? That game impacted their division hopes, their NFC title hopes, zilch. Did not impact it one bit. Why? Either way, they need Philly to lose. And because Dallas lost to Miami, who's an AFC team, not within their conference, it didn't affect their chances to win the Eagles, uh, to beat the Eagles for the division, one iota. They still need Philly to lose down the stretch. Eagles have the Cardinals and Giants, so obviously Dallas is going to have to hope for a little bit of a minor miracle while also taking care of their games. So for Dallas, this is obviously a huge matchup. And, of course, you don't want to lose three straight. I looked this up today, that, and then I'll get to sort of the crux of my argument about my, something that Micah Parsons said recently. But Dallas, because um, obviously they have Super Bowl hopes and aspirations, understandably so, there have been in Super Bowl history six teams, I looked this up today, that have lost three straight games at any point in the season and won the Super Bowl. Six. And only two of those teams, the 09 Saints and the 2012 Ravens, we just talked about Joe Flacco, have lost three straight games in the month of December, or at least going into, excuse me, in January. And the Saints, they lost their last three games, but they did start 13-0, so a little bit of an asterisk. Moral of the story, you want to be playing your best football in December, January, going into the postseason. That's kind of a known fact in the NFL and really in all sports. We see often baseball teams out of the playoff picture, get hot in September, go on to, to win the World Series. It's it's very, very common in that sport. Not as common in the NFL, but you want to be playing your best football at the end. So it's a big, big game for Dallas. Um, But Micah Parsons, who has a podcast, I believe it's with Bleacher Report. Micah Parsons has a podcast. And he's also very vocal on Twitter. 
and Micah Parsons uh, during the 49ers-Ravens game, which was one of the more hyped-up matchups of the season. Great Niners team, great Ravens team, best in their conference, respectively. And the Ravens built a big lead. Okay, And at 10.46 Eastern, which was around the fourth quarter, Micah Parsons tweeted, and I quote, down 21, and there are no shots or development throws should tell you all you need to know. He's saying that about the 49ers, and we assume he's saying that about Brock Purdy. Now, Mike has tried to walk it back, say, nah, he's really talking about the system and all that. Let's be honest. Even if that was what he was talking about, we all know the Niners. We saw Debo responded. Debo took a shot at Micah Parsons, saying uh, we live in his head rent-free and that uh, Micah would look good with playing in San Francisco the whole bit, right? So you have that aspect of it. The Niners are going to interpret that as he's taking a shot at our quarterback. Brock Purdy is going to interpret that as he's going to take a shot at me. He's taking a shot at me. Whether or not he acknowledges it or not, that's how they interpret that. And I was thinking about this today. I'm like, I mean, it's unbelievable. And I listen, I've been saying this for years, but I think because of how Dak has played this year, best season of his career thus far, more folks might be on my side than in years past. I don't know if we really contextualize what Dak Prescott has to put up with every single year. Now, that does not mean we should grade him from the standpoint of if he plays like against Buffalo two weeks ago. Dak did not play well by any metric whatsoever. I came on my show the next day. Dak played bad. Like, that does not mean regardless of what's around him, we should judge if, if he played poorly, he played poorly. We need to evaluate that individual game, see why he played poorly, then give our, our take on why that was the case. But by and large, in general, you just look at the whole picture. I don't know how many quarterbacks, certainly star to superstar quarterbacks, deal with what Dak deals with. He has, and I counted five, there's probably more, but I counted five things that just this season, and even some of them apply to in general, his eight years in Dallas, um, that he has to deal with that most quarterbacks do not. Number one, I just mentioned it, a loud and a loud and immature defensive star who's more known for his podcast than his play. Now, we know Micah Parsons is a phenomenal talent. I was a, I was a huge Micah Parsons guy coming out of Penn State. I remember doing a draft show with my man Ryan Flowers back in 2021. Shout out to Ryan and Clutch Sports Talk here at The Grid. And Dallas was on the clock. And did, Ryan's big Cowboys fans, a lot of Cowboys fans in that chat, in that show. And all the Cowboys fans were wanting Patrick Sertan. I should say, this is the pick before Dallas. They wanted Patrick Sertan, and the Broncos took Patrick Sertan. He was like, oh, man, we missed out on our guy. And I said, wait a second. Sertan's going to be good. But this dude out of Penn State, where's number 11? You, you need to get him. Dallas traded back, ended up getting Micah Parsons. That pick has obviously worked out tremendously well for them. And his production has been off the charts as well. Double-digit sacks in each of his first three seasons and has been compared to by some. I think this is lunacy, but the, his, the comparison's been out there. The Micah Parsons is this generation's Lawrence Taylor. Now, I think that's nuts, though, because Lawrence Taylor is the greatest defensive player in the history of the league. Micah Parsons is not even the best player in his own position in the league. That's T.J. Watt. But be that as it may, Micah's a great player. But oftentimes when we talk about Micah Parsons on shows like mine or on TV, radio, podcasts, etc., print, doesn't it seem to be more about what he's saying on his podcast than what he's doing on the field? You're saying, Bryson, come on, that's hypocritical. You, you've defended Draymond Green for the longest time. He's got a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Draymond Green, who's a four-time champion, defensive player of the year, two-time gold medalist, is probably going to replace Chuck on inside the NBA and is a surefire, no doubt, first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, that Draymond Green is more than entitled to have a podcast. His, his, his legacy in NBA history is etched in stone. He can add to it, but by and large, we have a legacy for Draymond Green. It's complicated, but we kind of know who he is, what he is in the historical context of the National Basketball Association. Micah, we're, we're, we're not even, we haven't even finished the third year of his career. He's out here, he's, he's got a podcast and he's taking shots at other teams' quarterbacks, not to mention the other team whose quarterback against Micah, you know, torched him 42 to 10. So Dak has to deal with that distraction. He also has to deal with, and I don't subscribe to this as much as most, but we'll play along here, a coach who half the fan base hates and doesn't trust. I have conversations with my buddy, and I don't think he'll he'll mind me saying this. Shout out to my man, uh, Philip. We text all the time during Cowboys games. And oftentimes, we'll talk, and I'm sure Philip's probably even commented this before. Uh, and I know Philip's watching. Shout out to him. That uh, he's not a big Mike McCarthy guy. He's like, I don't trust him situationally. I don't like the penalties. And that's a totally valid opinion that a lot of the fan base shares. You know, when you hear concerns about why the Cowboys won't win the Super Bowl or won't make a long playoff run, Oftentimes, Mike McCarthy has mentioned. Now, personally, I think McCarthy's done a great job this year. He's had some clunkers, such as the Miami game or the Buffalo game or even the Chargers game, which is a game the Cowboys won. I thought he had a terrible coaching performance. But in general, McCarthy's had one of the better seasons of his career calling plays for Dak Prescott. Half the fan base hates him, so Dak has to overcome that. He also has to deal with, as far as on the field, no legitimate outside threat aside from C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb is an Awesome talent. And is, in my view, one of the five best receivers in all the sport. That's it. That, that, that's all Dak's got. All of a sudden, Jake Ferguson. Oh, Jake Ferguson's this up-and-coming player. Yeah, would he be that without Dak? Never heard of Jake Ferguson before this season. I haven't. You say, Bryce, come on. What about Brandon Cooks? Brandon Cooks is out here. He's this, this speedster, this big-time threat. Yes, he's been so valuable to the teams that he's been with, including the Cowboys. More on that in literally just a second. He's been on five teams in less than a decade. Saints loved him so much, they moved on from him. The Patriots did the same, as did the Rams, as did the Texans. And in Dallas, as Dak's number two receiver, I could not believe this when I checked ESPN today, ESPN stats. Brandon Cooks ranks 23rd in touchdowns, 66th in yards, and 84th in catches against the Miami Dolphins on Sunday while CeeDee Lamb had over 100 yards receiving. Brandon Cooks had two catches for 14 yards, and that's Dak's number two. Number four, Dak has no running game. And I've been told Dak cannot win without a running game. Funny, he's won 10 games this year. Dak's number one running back, Tony Pollard. Could not believe this stat when I saw it too. We are in week 17, mind you. Tony Pollard has one. 100-yard rushing game. One. So he has no running game to fall back on like other quarterbacks, such as Mahomes when Isaiah Pacheco's healthy, Joe Burrow with Joe Mixon. These days, Josh Allen with James Cook, and think about guys like Jalen Hurts with DeAndre Swift. Dak does not have that. And fifth, and absolutely most importantly, because this is something Dak inherited from the moment he stepped foot in Dallas. An egomaniacal, power-hungry owner and GM 
in Jerry Jones, who will not seek any sort of help outside of the building, by and large, certainly as long as Dak has been there, refuses to take shots at the trade deadline. And we all know, when it's all said and done, he wants the credit. Why else was Jimmy Johnson fired? Jimmy Johnson, who finally is going to the Ring of Honor, shout out to Jimmy tomorrow. Why else do you think Jimmy Johnson was, was let go despite the incredible run he had started to put together in Dallas? Jerry does not want McCarthy to have the credit or Dak to have the credit or Micah Parsons or anybody else. It's got to be him. Unlike other owners, like Cowboys fans won't like this, but it's true. Jeffrey Lurie in Philadelphia. Jeffrey Lurie is a guy, rich dude, owns one of the most well-known NFL organizations out there, the Philadelphia Eagles. What does he do? Well, really what the Eagles organization does, for as much as I don't buy into them this year, I love and respect their organizational model. He employs Howie Roseman, one of the smartest general managers in professional sports. Howie, you make the decision. You evaluate the talent, and I trust you. He's fired coaches. He fired Andy Reid, who got him to a Super Bowl. He fired Chip Kelly, who wasn't great, but made the playoffs one of those three years in Philadelphia. He fired Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl. He's got Nick Sirianni now, who half the fan base hates, who's also been another Super Bowl. Jeffrey Lurie lets the people who specialize in certain decision-making situations, he lets them have that. Jerry doesn't do that. As much as I hear about how great the Cowboys roster is, sure has a lot of holes. They're not very good against the run. Offensively, it's Dak and CeeDee Lamb or bust. And yet this season... Dak is number one in the NFL in touchdown passes, third in both QBR and passer rating, and top five in passing yards. Not to mention the whole interception problem he had last year. Yeah, with two games to go, he has seven on the season. I don't think we often give Dak enough credit for what he has to deal with from a, a noise perspective, from an on-field production standpoint in terms of what's around him. Half the fan base hates McCarthy. And most people don't trust Jerry Jones. And yet, in one of the most competitive divisions in the NFL, take his injury year out when he only played five games in 2020. That's seven seasons in which he finished the season on the field. Dak will now be about to make his fifth playoff appearance with three division titles and a couple playoff wins, one against Pete Carroll Seahawks and the other one which he, you know, retired the greatest player in the sports history by virtue of a 31-14 to blowout on the road. I'm not by no means saying that Dak is the best quarterback in the league. He's not. I'm not really even arguing he's the MVP. Right now, that's Lamar Jackson. But when we talk about and criticize Dak for the tiniest little things, it's like any any human being in life who's had to overcome a lot in their personal lives, which Dak has done that as well, although has uh, so have other quarterbacks, so I don't even want to take that into the, into the picture. We kind of got to look at the whole... The, we got to contextualize this entire uh, product, what Dak has put out there, and say, by and large, not bad. I get Super Bowls are the expectation in Dallas, and they should be. They're America's team, after all, and they have five Super Bowl championships. But you got to give them something other than one star receiver. Can you imagine Dak if he were in San Francisco or Cincinnati? Or Baltimore, and I love Lamar, but Baltimore? These are legitimate questions to ask. That's all I'm saying. I don't think we give Dak enough credit for what he has to overcome with the Dallas Cowboys. 
Let's see. Oh, yeah, talking about the Browns, uh, Patrick says, and this is a great point. This is why I say in a perfect world, but it's not. Um, but Patrick says, Deshaun's dead money would be worse than what Denver will have to pay out for Russell. It would. It's, it Listen, it's the worst contract I think that's ever been signed in the history of the NFL, including Russell's. At least Russell's give them something. Russell, has, Russell by, look at his numbers. are actually not bad. I mean, he can't just judge a player based off numbers. Um, yeah. But that's Deshaun's not. I think Deshaun has one more touchdown pass. This is crazy. In about as many starts, Deshaun Watson has one more touchdown pass than Joe Flacco. It's pretty pretty unbelievable. Patrick, we better not spoil Jimmy's ceremony. It'll be a celebration in the making. Hopefully, we play inspired football and end this two-game skid. Yeah, and again, for Dallas, you know, this is why I talked about this before the whole Micah Dak thing, uh, is that... And I checked. I checked all the all fifty seven Super Bowl champions. Only two, the 09 Saints and the twenty twelve Ravens, lost three consecutive games in the month of December or January. Only three, and only six. Make sure it's six. Yep, only six teams ever. Ironically, all of them came in the twenty first century, which I find interesting. Um, si- only six teams that have won the Super Bowl had three game losing streaks at any point in the season much less in December, January, in which only two of the 57 has done that. I've done that. That's, by the way, in part, why I kind of disqualify Philadelphia. Now, Phil, my criticism of Philly is more has to do with their defense, which is atrocious, and it's going to get them beat pretty early on in the playoffs, but nonetheless. Patrick, winners focus on winning losers. Focus on winners. Micah needs to put focus more on getting to quarterbacks versus his podcast. Agreed. And he says, Dak is a, oh, this is interesting. Dak is a better leader than Mahomes. We don't see QB1 throwing temper tantrums or outburst looking immature. And again, I, and I criticize Mahomes for the whole thing with, with Buffalo. Um, I don't even think that, and by the way, guys, yeah, I mean, you, in fairness, Patrick, you could say the very same thing about Tom Brady. You really, I mean, how many, how many outbursts we see Tom have on the sideline? Throwing helmets. I mean, at the end in Tampa, he was like out here. Microsoft was having to put out statements to, to the NFL. Stop breaking our tablets, which Tom was doing. Tom was very known for getting in coaches' faces, offensive linemen, receivers. Um, I'm fine with being confrontational as if you have a legitimate reason to be like Mahomes last week was like kind of getting in the grill of his offensive linemen. Don't blame him. Man was running for his life. I get it. Um and I, by the way, I've seen Dak rarely, but I've seen Dak be like, you know, have, have you know, kind of break emotionally. Why? Because he's human. Um, you could make that case, though, Patrick. You could, that Dak is a better leader than Mahomes. You really could. I, I, I won't, I won't, and I think Mahomes is a great leader. I won't fight you on that. I really won't. Because I said a couple weeks ago, I said, I think Mahomes' outburst, which obviously was, he went way further than he should have. I didn't defend him there. I think, honestly, most of that, was directed, A, at the officials, which, again, the officials made the right call, but on the offsides with Kadarius Tony, some of that was directed not at the officials, but more at that was the last punch the Chiefs had in that game because they have no offensive explosiveness. So some of the, the vitriol he had for the officials, I think he was really directing that more towards his wide receivers who couldn't catch and now can't even separate. Another conversation for, for another day, and obviously Chiefs have a really big matchup this weekend against the Bengals, which I'll predict at the end of the show. But yeah, it's, again, context matters. You know, this would have been a good segment for carving up the context. I did that with Kevin Durant on Tuesday. Um, Yeah, we need, to, we, we, need to, we need to be fair about this stuff. That's not to say Dak should get a pass when the Cowboys play poorly or he plays poorly. But, <laughs> listen, with all the stuff that went wrong in that game against the Dolphins, Dak's the last guy to blame. <laughs> 
When Dak left the field, his last play, Cowboys were in front because he threw a dime to a bad excuse for a number two receiver, Brandon Cooks. Next time he took the field, he was shaking to his hand, not to take the field for a, another potential shot at a game when he drive. Just saying. Just saying. I'm not saying Dak should be MVP, but I am saying he should still be in the race. Valuable. I take the V, the v word into account far more often than the most suits. Why I think Lamar's the front runner because Lamar's value is off the charts, the Ravens. Anyways, we got my soapbox. I did want to talk about Russell Wilson, the Broncos, though, because that was a big story this week. And this is the classic example of a phrase that I use very often on the show is that two things can be true. And I'll explain what those things are throughout the duration of the segment. But Russell Wilson, middle of this week, was officially, it was announced he has been benched for the final two games of the season for Jarrett Stidham. And Jarrett Stidham, backup quarterback for the Broncos. Uh, Broncos are 7-8. and eight. They've lost three or four. Russell, who had a, a nice, in that, they had a five-game winning streak. Russell had, had a, a good stretch of play. It was, I think, top five in the NFL in touchdown passes. He might still be, for all I know. But Russell had been playing relatively well in more of a game manager type of role instead of the let Russ cook role with the Broncos and with Sean Payton's system. And but this losing to a three uh, three of four at one point being down sixteen points to Bailey Zappi and the Patriots the four win the now four win Patriots who probably would have been better off losing that game than winning it at home nonetheless and so Russell Bum bench last two games of the season for Jarrett Stidham that excuse me that is in large uh, in large part due to the fact that if Russell if the Broncos release Russell this year they'll save more how do I how do I say this they'll save the Broncos will save more money in terms of the cap hit, dead money, all of that, if they release Russell this year as opposed to 2025, 26. And again, this matters because his Denver contract that he's, remember he signed that extension when he was traded for by the Broncos, uh, by the Seahawks to the Broncos? The Broncos contract hadn't even kicked in yet. He's still, this is the last year of his Seahawks contract. So you have that component onto it as well. So the Broncos are going to release Russ and he's going to be a free agent. And so I'd say two things could be true. We got a lot more information in the past 48 hours, in large part by uh, Jordan Schultz, uh, who's a great, uh, I think he works for Bleacher Report, does a great job, one of the better insiders in the NFL, as well as other insiders who, who, who talk about the fact that after the Broncos had beaten the Chiefs, remember when they at home beat the Kansas City Chiefs, it was the first win against Kansas City since Peyton Manning was there, which is hard to believe. But they beat the Chiefs at home, played well. Russell was good. Defense was amazing. And apparently, the Broncos went to Russell and asked him to basically revise his contract to save them money, which Russell said, I'm not doing that. Russell can explain it better than me. And I say that because in the past couple of hours, we actually have a soundbite from Russell Wilson, his side of the story at least, detailing the situation, Russell Wilson Take a listen. There's been a lot of attention about the contract situation. Did they approach you or your agent in October regarding adjusting the contract? Russell? Yeah. yeah. What can yeah. you say about that? Yeah, they, they just they, uh, during the we beat the Chiefs. They they came up to me during the um they came up to me during the uh, bye week and began the bye week on Monday or Tuesday, and they told me that uh, if I didn't change my contract, my injury guaranteed that I'd be uh you know that I'd I'd be benched for the rest of the year. And uh, for, I don't know, I think we had nine games left or so. Uh, I was definitely disappointed about it. And uh, it was a process throughout the whole week, um, the whole bye week. And, um, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, we, we just came off beating the Chiefs, played a pretty good game against the Chiefs. We just came off of that. So I was excited, obviously, for us to fight for the playoffs and get on a hot streak. 
and um you know and then uh you know nflpa and nfl got involved or whatever i think but at some point but i, I think you know for me you know i just you know i, I came here to, to um to play here um to to, to win i knew it was going to be a process to to uh you know, you know, I signed a seven-year deal to, you know, for us to go and play hard, and that's my goal every every time I step in between the white lines, is give everything I have. You know, I want to be here, I want to play here, I want to be able to win here, I want to win championships here, I want to give my all every week. You know, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the score is, and um, you know, and uh, I, I want to be the best teammate and leader that I can be in the midst of it all. Um, you know, and so, you know, that's why I was out here at practice every day, and you know, I told you know, I told Jared I'd, I'll help him. And, lead and do whatever it takes and keep the guys going and try to lead the right way. You know, that's all I know. Okay. So that's Russell's side of the story. And that's what's been reported by the way, over the past 48 hours. And so first and foremost, again, this is where the two things can be true aspect of it comes into play in terms of this story. And again, Russell says it, it's been reported. So I assume it's probably true that the Broncos did go to Russ after the Chiefs win and say, we want you to restructure your contract. And from that perspective, I am 1,000% on Russell's side, as I would be with any athlete. Because the fact of the matter is, we talk about the athletes making all this money, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God, they're so rich. Well, ultimately, they didn't sign that contract by themselves. Team agreed to it. These billionaire owners, the, 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 the family associated with Walmart who bought the Broncos a couple years back, they agreed to it. The George Patton general manager agreed to it. So for them to go to Russ and say, hey, actually, we kind of like you to walk to, to walk, walk back on this. I'm totally with Russ saying, no, nah, no, you agree to this too. So from that perspective, I am absolutely with Russ. This is why I say anytime an athlete holds out for more money, I, it's with Lamar Jackson. Lamar's way better than Russ. We understand that. But that aside, Lamar Jackson, any athlete, Russell Wilson, when guys hold out for more money, when guys hold out so they can get certain benefits and stipulations of their contract, I totally get it. I totally defend them 100%. Because the fact of the matter is, as we're seeing right before our very eyes with Russell Wilson, a career in the NFL and in professional sports can be here today and gone tomorrow. So for Russ to take advantage of that, absolutely defend him. What is also true, because Russ won't be a Bronco next year, Russ is going to be elsewhere is that I think he has little to no market. Honestly, I think he has little to no market. Not just because of his production, because of production, it's, it's, not, it's not terrible. Okay, again, there was a point in time when he was top five in the NFL in touchdown passes. Again, the Broncos had a five-game winning streak. Uh, at one point, obviously, lost three or four, which is in large part also as well as the, the contract situation, why Russell was benched. In order, in order for the Broncos to to save more money down the line, but when you look at Russell Wilson this season, list list last year was a disaster. Russell was nothing short of unwatchable. Russell this year though, hey, sixth in touchdown passes, only eight picks on the year. It's not bad, not by not bad by any stretch. If we could pull up his his pass rate, pass rate is ninety eight. Pretty close to 100. So Russell's been by no means whatsoever been a bad quarterback this season in the same form and fashion that he was a year ago. It's not the production, though. It isn't really even just the fact that you have to use Russ more as a game manager because he is getting up there in age and his game has evolved and changed, not necessarily for the better. Sean Payton 
is now the fourth per sorry the fifth person at least that I've seen uh, major players or coaches involved with Russell Wilson. Sean Payton, head coach of the Broncos, Super Bowl champion, is now the fifth guy to come out against Russ publicly. We had Marshawn Lynch take shots at Russ on Shannon Sharp's podcast. We had KJ Wright last season. I forget. It might have been on Rich. I think it was on Richard Sherman's podcast. Take a shot at Russell Wilson. Richard Sherman has taken multiple shots at Russ on his show and otherwise. Even before Russ was, even when Russ was a Seahawk, Richard Sherman was taking shots at one Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll, remember last year when Geno Smith was balling and Geno Smith, I think, led the league in pass rating last year? And Pete Carroll had the quote saying, like, it's nice to have a quarterback who wears a wristband, which was a, clearly a shot at Russell. And now Sean Payton, how many outbursts at Russell have we seen? I remember during the Lions game especially, have we seen between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson? Getting his face, yelling at him. Now, I've never been a, a huge fan of, of, at least, listen, this is me personally. This is not how I respond to not performing well. Is someone getting right up in your, in your grill and and yelling at you. So I sort of empathize with Russ in that regard. But in the same form of fashion, Sean Payton wins with a lot of quarterbacks. He's kind of been the quarterback whisper. He's with Tony Romo early in his career in Dallas. He helped Drew Brees, not to take credit from Drew because he's one of the 10 best at the position ever. Drew Brees' career was over, seemingly, because of the shoulder problems. And we all know infamously the Dolphins didn't take him in. That's why Nick Saban went to Alabama. We know that story. But Drew Brees was done until he goes to New Orleans with Sean Payton Won a Super Bowl and hold, held, when he retired, then Brady broke almost all of the records. Breeze held virtually every major quarterback record ever. Passing touchdowns, completion percent, all that. Um, yards. Sean Payton, even his last year in New Orleans, when Drew Brees retired, won nine games. You're saying, nine games, eh? <laughs> well, would he consider the fact that he had Jameis Winston? He had Taysom Hill, who's not even a quarterback. It's certainly a starting quarterback in the lineup at that point in the year. He had one guy, Ian Book, I remember, from uh, Notre Dame start a game or two for him. I mean, it was a quarterback carousel, and the Saints almost made the playoffs. Sean Payton makes everybody work. And by the way, he kind of made Russ work. I mean, there were discussions. There were serious discussions. Hey, is Russell Wilson back? I never subscribed to that, but I said, we got a better version of Russ within the scheme of Sean Payton's offense. But the moral of the story, that's now five people, at least that I, I've counted, that either players that have played with Russ or coaches that have coached Russ that have taken shots at him. So when you have that, you when you have that component, uh, uh, you know, additionally with the fact that he's clearly declining as a player, reputation, production, and now you look down at the, the teams that need quarterbacks. Okay, let's look at the AFCs. Jets need a quarterback; they just don't know it, but they've got Aaron Rodgers. They're not going to make that happen. Patriots. I mean, what he solved the Patriots' problems is as as bad as they've been this season. It feels like they're going to go draft a quarterback somewhere in the top three or four. Okay, Cleveland needs a quarterback, but they feel pretty good about where they're at with Joe Flacco. Maybe they draft a guy in the second or third round. Not to mention all the money they're paying to Sean. Okay, my Steelers need a quarterback. I'm not sure they know it, which is a little concerning. But Kenny Pickett is a guy who's obviously cheaper than Russ. Uh, Kenny Pickett has, has shown promise in the fourth quarter. Uh, there's something there. I don't think he's the answer, but he's better than Russ. At least he's shown at times to be better than Russ. He's certainly cheaper than Russ. Indianapolis has Anthony Richardson. Uh, keep looking down the list. Tennessee is going to trot out Will Levis for another year. Again, cheaper than Russ. The Raiders, I've heard the Raiders mention, would they do it because they're paying Garoppolo? Listen, Antonio Pierce is trying to, to ensure that he's the long-term guy. If they interview Antonio Pierce and Mark Davis, and Antonio Pierce is saying, yeah, I'd like to bring in Russell Wilson, 
I don't know if Mark Davis will be like, uh, you sure want to want to be the, the full-time guy? So the Raiders are probably not a factor. The Giants are stuck with Daniel Jones. I don't see that happening. Uh, the Commanders are 4-11. and They're going to draft a quarterback, we assume. Keep looking down the list. Chicago either has Justin Fields or Caleb Williams. So they're not taking Russ uh, in that, uh, you know, that situation. Atlanta might. Atlanta, to me, seems like the most realistic destination given the fact that they're at the middle. They're around the middle of, of the draft. They'll be drafting, I think, like 12, 13. Depends on, depends on how they finish this season. Maybe Atlanta works. I could potentially see that. The Saints... They're paying too much money to Derek Carr. They won't bring Russell Wilson in. The Bucs are more than happy with Baker Mayfield and what he's doing this year. Carolina, we saw last week, and we've seen when they he has a freaking offensive line. Bryce Young shows promise, and they gave up too much to just bail on him after one year. Arizona has Kyler or quarterback. Seattle, we know for a fact, they're not bringing back. I mean, keep looking down the list of teams. What's Russell's market? I'm not. I mean, I'm really not sure. Uh, again, money isn't going to be too much of a factor this go around. I don't, I don't know, man. Atlanta feels like the team that makes the most sense. I guess. I mean, he he certainly he'll be the best quarterback that they've had with with Arthur Smith because we have Matt Ryan at the end of his career, Desmond Ritter, Taylor Heineke, Russell's better than those guys. But uh, that's kind of a about it. The Giants make a little bit of sense that they weren't paying Daniel Jones so much, but. Ugh, not great. Yeah, I, I, knew, I knew Patrick was going to say this, and I, I appreciate him, him staying consistent to this message. Broncos country, let's cry. Broncos country, we tried. Broncos country, the ride has ended. A bumpy ride it was, Patrick. It was, it was a very bumpy one. He says $85 million in dead money. That's horrendous and will set the Broncos back five to seven years. Yeah, it definitely screws up their cap big time. So they're going to have to ace their draft picks, which Sean Payton's in the building. So, And we know Sean Payton had a lot of say with Mickey Loomis the GM of the Saints, we know he was he was very, very much involved in player personnel decisions. So look, that, that's sort of the bright side of it, is that the Russell trade is done in terms of the fact that all the assets they gave the Seahawks, those have been used up. And so the Broncos have a first-round pick next year. They got, I, I'm pretty sure I'm aware, all the, as far as I'm aware, they've all their picks next year, the following year. So they can rebuild this roster, but... Uh, yeah, in terms of the cap situation, it's, it's not great. Patrick, the way Coach Payton runs his offense is about pace. That is absolutely true. Perfection until it's done right. Repetition is crucial in understanding the verbiage of his offense, getting in and out of huddles, receivers breaking routes, the whole thing. Absolutely. And it's predicated on the running game as well. We saw with Alvin Kamara in New Orleans, Mark Ingram in New Orleans, Javante Williams now with the Broncos, and working out of the play action a little bit. Now, Drew Brees was a guy in his prime you could drop back 50 times. You didn't love him to do that, but you could win doing that because Drew is, is an all-time player. So it feels like Denver's probably going to draft a guy. I Listen, I could actually see Denver maybe out going out and getting Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is good. In, listen, we know Kirk has limitations. He's not near, near as mobile as Russ, although Russ isn't that mobile anymore. But they're around the same age. He won't cost near as much as Russ did. Uh He's light. He was beloved in the Vikings locker room, which is why I'm still not 100% sure the Vikings will move on from him, but we'll see. And so maybe Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins almost went there in 2017 when he was a free agent, or 2018, really. So Kirk Cousins makes sense potentially, or they draft a guy. Or they trade up, maybe get a Bo Nix, uh, Penix Jr., potentially. I love Penix out of Washington, so if the Broncos were able to pull that off, props to them, because I think Penix is going to be a special player in the NFL. There are options. There are options out there. 
And Jarrett Stidham has been a a solid back. And now we know the Broncos' season is over in terms of playoff contention. Uh, that that loss to the Patriots was an essential death nail to their season. If they wanted to make the playoffs, uh, they are right. Right now, sitting, they are the the lowest seed in the AFC that has not been mathematically eliminated. So, yeah, they're seven eight tied with the Raiders, but the Raiders uh, beat them twice. They beat them twice. I think they did. No, I'm sorry, they beat them one time this season. They play in Week 18. So, there you go. But again, two things can be true. I totally get Russell Wilson, and I defend Russell Wilson for when to get his bag. I'm not listen. I'm not changing my contract. You agreed to it. I'm not changing it. You're not going to screw me over in terms of my money. So I totally defend Russ there and any athlete. But the same breath, Russell's reputation, it's seen better days. Russell's production has definitely seen better days. I don't really know what the market is for him. Falcons probably makes the most sense. But even then, what's the end goal and the end result with that? Maybe maybe you take Russ, you sign Russ, you draft a quarterback maybe. Maybe that's a strategy. Have Russ as kind of like a placeholder. I don't know. Because my, my mindset with rookies is, especially first-rounders, get them on the field as soon as possible. Okay, there's The experience you can get, even if it's a rough year, is invaluable. Like that's why when there was discussion, hey, should they play C.J. Stroud in Houston or Anthony Richardson with the Colts? I'm like, yeah, they should play him. They don't gain anything from the bench. Any, any quarterback will tell you that. Now, preferably you want your quarterback to have a decent offensive line, which oftentimes they don't because they're, especially the great ones or great college guys are drafted to bad teams. But, yeah. Atlanta, I guess, makes the most sense, but I'm not sure where, where Russ ends up. NBA topic before I move on to my NFL predictions. And this has been a, I'll say, these these picks this week, I want to say I feel confident. I think I've gotten six around 62% of my predictions correct uh, this year in terms of my predictions, so I feel pretty good about that. I did want to talk briefly about my Golden State Warriors. So my Warriors are sitting right now at 11th, 11th place in the Western Conference, 15 and 16. I was feeling pretty good before the, the Nuggets Christmas game because the Warriors have won five straight. Heck, they beat Boston, who I think is the best team in basketball. Uh, played with Denver close, but then last night against Miami with no Kyle Lowry, with no Jimmy Butler, a lot of the Heat rotation guys did not play this game, and they still went into San Francisco and controlled that game throughout. The Warriors led the first, uh, went into the second quarter with the lead, and the Heat controlled the game after that. Won, won the second, third quarters, and that was essentially all she wrote. So, I saw a video. We, 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 we're not playing it on the show today, but I saw a video yesterday, and it just made me depressed. Of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson on the bench. They'd obviously been pulled from the game because the game had been long decided. Kerr pulls his guys out of the game, waves the white flag. And the buzzer's already sounded at the Chase Center, and Steph and Clay are on the bench. Clay's kind of leading forward, and Steph's kind of back, hands behind his head with a towel over his head. And they both just looked... They both both look in this video just I w- I'm not gonna say mentally tapped out because that's almost to say they quit because and that's not the case. They're both great competitors, but just like what where what are we? Where are we? What are we doing? Who are we? Just kind of like like those blank stares you see when athletes when their teams get eliminated. Like that's what it looked like from Stephen Clay, as if their team had just been eliminated from the playoffs. And I was thinking about this with Steph in particular because Clay's future is kind of murky. We know Steph is still an all-time player. Or listen, if Steph retired tomorrow, he'd be an all-time player. But it's still a great. I mean, he's averaging twenty-seven games. Steph is still having a great year because he's one of the greatest players in the history of basketball. 
I'm worried. I've detailed this before, but I'm worried that the Warriors are starting to take to take Steph Curry for granted a little bit. And as a result, and I'll explain how this could happen, that might actually cost them Steph Curry. Because I saw stat. This is and I'll give credit to who posted it because it's a fun Twitter account. You know, StatMuse, the website you look at and, and you can look up stats. I use it often for, for to look up stuff for my show. Uh, well, there are different StatMuse Twitter accounts or X accounts, whatever, uh, based off of individual players. Well, there's one called Loon, L-O-O-N, like Looney Tunes, LoonMuse for Kavon Looney, and Loomuse tweeted, shout out to them, uh, re retweeted this, saying that Steph Curry in his last nine games, this is according to StatMuse, has averaged 23 points a game, or 22.9, 23 points a game, which is below his average. And Steph in that spam is shooting, do we have the shooting percentage? Yeah, he's, he's shooting he's shooting 35% from three, 42% for the field, so not terribly efficient. So what does that say? Is Steph just on a cold stretch? Is he not feeling it? I'm worried they're wearing Steph down a bit. I'm worried that because, I mean, Kerr's tried to tweak the lineups. He's moved Andrew Wiggins to the bench. He's moved Kavon Looney. Well, actually, Kavon Looney's still starting, but Draymond Green's out. He's moved Wiggins to the bench. He's tried to tweak with different lineups, putting the rookie Brandon Pajemski, who's played very well, by the way, in the starting lineup and relying on a rookie Pajemski and a, a declining Clay Thompson and an Andrew Wiggins who's played so well this season that Kerr benched him. Meanwhile, Steph is trying to do, do what he can out there. We have to remember, while Steph is still awesome, he is going to be 36 in three months. And I criticized the Lakers, at least before this past season when they made the moves to the deadline, but I criticized the Lakers at length when LeBron was, at the time, 37 going on 38 and averaging darn near 30, having an awesome year, and the Lakers had no support for him. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. This guy is the, in my view, we can debate this another day, the greatest basketball player of all time. If nothing else, whether you think he's the GOAT or not, he still seems to be in his prime. He's averaging 30. He's shooting, a, his shooting splits are off the charts, especially for his age and the stage he's at in his career. And he can't give him a little bit of help. Props to the Lakers. They did at the trade deadline. Not to mention they had Anthony Davis, who, you know, I call coin flip Davis, but when the coin flips on heads, AD can be the best player on the floor. We know that. He's a great player. There's no question about that. I think the Warriors are in a similar situation with Steph, where he's still great, but he is potentially no longer at the stage of his career like he was two years ago when the Warriors won the championship, where he can just put get on my back, I'm going to carry you to a title. That was around the age LeBron was, 35, 36, where he, LeBron was still great. LeBron can no longer carry you to a title. By the way, that's not a knock. That's the fact what they're doing at their age is, is insane. It's, we've never seen it before. How could the Warriors lose Steph, you ask? In a similar form, although some of the details, some of the specifics are a bit different, but in a similar form and fashion that the Cavs lost LeBron the first go-around. Now, again, the situation's different. LeBron was, in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, LeBron was, what, 22, 23 years old? Steph, in the 2024 Olympics, will be 36. So there's a 13-year age gap, like different stages of their career. LeBron hadn't won any MVPs or championships yet. Steph has two MVPs and four championships. But LeBron was with that team in 08. Remember the Redeem team? Kobe Bryant, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, all these great U.S. players. And he spent, he loved, LeBron loved Cleveland. It was his hometown. They drafted him. He'd won a playoff series, been to a finals in 07. He loved Cleveland. Then he went to play with Team USA, the Redeem team. 
and all those great players. He's like, hey, this is what playing with great players is like. Ooh, I like this. So he put more pressure on the Cavs. Hey, guys, did you get maybe one of these guys to come over here to Cleveland? They could have. So in 2010, LeBron went to Miami and teamed up with two of his Team USA teammates, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. Could Steph Curry do the same? Because Steph Curry, the reports were apparent this summer, and I anticipate that they will remain the case. That Team USA, that LeBron has contacted all of these superstar American players because it appears, due to the FIBA games, uh, the FIBA tournament, that the world's kind of caught up to the U.S. Even if you look at some of the best players in the league today, non-American players, Jokic, Giannis, Luka. World's caught up to us. And so it's it's on Team USA. How do we combat this? Well, LeBron reportedly, according to Sham Sharani and others, has kind of taken matters in his own hands. He's recruited Kevin Durant. He's recruited Steph Curry. I think there's reports saying he recruited Kyrie Irving and De'Aaron Fox, Devin Booker, to bring in these guys to ensure uh, Team USA, we are retaining the goal. We are defending our crown. And my anticipation is that team's going to win gold and is going to look really good despite the world competition in doing so. You got Braun, Steph, Kevin Durant, Jason, Jason Tatum, all these other star-to-superstar players. And Steph's going to look around after worst-case scenario, let's say Golden State makes the play-in tournament, maybe sneaks in the playoffs, but goes out in five games to the Oklahoma City Thunder or the Kings or, the La- or somebody. And Steph then goes that summer to Paris to play with all these superstar NBA players. And he looks around, knowing he has only two years left in his contract. He's he's age 36. He doesn't have a whole lot longer left in his prime and saying, man, I'm one of the greatest players of all time. I deserve to be playing for titles at this stage in my career. The way that I am playing, my longevity has never been seen aside from LeBron and KD. I need to go elsewhere. Could he go to the Lakers? Could he go to Phoenix? Could he go to any other potential contender? Out East, out West, you name it. LeBron did something. LeBron was in a different stage of his career, I understand, in 08. LeBron loved Cleveland, was loyal to Cleveland. Then he played with the star players in Beijing and was like, yeah, I like this better. Who wouldn't any player? In any field, wouldn't you want to be around more talented people in your profession, the most talented people in your profession, especially if you are one of the most talented people in your profession? Could Steph have a mindset shift like that? Yet the Golden State Warriors don't make a move, whether it's at the trade deadline, whether it's minor moves, multiple, a lot of minor moves that result in a great playoff run like the Lakers had last year or one big splash move. Not sure what that would be. Maybe there's a disgruntled superstar that, that comes in the mix soon. Who knows? Kevin Durant and Phoenix. Uh, crazier things have happened. Warriors could lose, could risk losing Steph Curry. And if there's anything Mike Dunleavy Jr. does not want the reputation of, it's... He's the guy that drove Steph Curry away. And I'm a Mike Dunleavy Jr. fan. I think he's done some good things this offseason. I like some of the things. I thought he had a great draft. But once that's on your reputation, you can never shake it. I don't know. It's I saw that look from Steph Curry. A bit concerning. It's, it, it's a bit concerning. Where he's got to be thinking, I am still... And Steph didn't play... By the way, Steph didn't play well at all last night. He only scored 13 points. Was really inefficient. Uh, didn't play well at all, didn't shoot the ball well. But Steph is at a stage where he's like, I don't have a lot longer, and certainly in my prime, probably two to three years left. I, 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 I want to start winning champions. Like, I, I've won my MVPs. I've gotten my, I've broken my records, three-point record, all that. I, at this stage, I just want to win championships. I've got my money. 
I want to win championships. The Warriors is currently constructed. I say this is the Warriors fans simply are not that. I think that that date with Team USA this summer, that could change things if the Warriors don't make a big splash move or multiple little moves that equate to one big splash move at the trade deadline or in free agency or the offseason in general if it's a trade. I don't know. Say this, if I'm the Warriors, and oh my gosh, people would lose their minds if this happened. They would lose their minds if this happened. I'd really be monitoring that Kevin Durant situation in Phoenix. Now, Bradley Beal, not going for Bradley Beal. He is back tonight. Recording to Woj, Bradley Beal's going to play tonight. We know he's only played, I think, three games this season. And I think I saw a stat that Booker, Beal, and Durant have played a grand total of 24 minutes of basketball on the floor together, which is literally they've just played one half of basketball this season. If that kind of deteriorates or continues to deteriorate the way that it has thus far for the Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant could be asking himself the same questions. Man, I'm great. I'm an MVP. I'm a multi-time champion. I'm one of the greatest players of all time. You aren't doing your job. Maybe Katie and Steph team up one more time. The two older guys, the older superstars in their prime team up, hopefully in Golden State. Knock on wood, it's in Golden State. As opposed to Phoenix, which I'd support the Phoenix Suns. I'd still root for Steph, although it's a Warriors fan, of course. I don't know. I saw that look from Steph. I'm like, God, that's concerning. I don't like it. I don't blame him. But I didn't like seeing that as a Warriors fan. It hurt. I'll tell you. And I've said before, the Warriors as currently constructed are not title contenders this year. As currently constructed. Which is why they need to make a move. Kevin Durant, I've said it before. I've said it for years. You are always welcome home, my man. You are always welcome back to Golden State. Always welcome back. All right. We've got a great weekend of NFL football. By the way, the New Year's coming. I'm not going to predict the college football playoff games or the semifinal games today. I'm going to wait till Monday show, which I'll... Monday's show is going to be in the morning. I think I think we're going to do the show at 11 a.m. The reason I'm doing it early is because my Vols play their bowl game, the Cheez-It uh, Citrus Bowl at 1 o'clock Eastern against Iowa, so I don't want to miss my Vols game. And the Vol View, by the way, will be back on Monday's shows uh, for, for a season finale, so stay tuned for that. But we'll be back on Monday's show at 11 a.m., and I will predict the college football playoff semifinal games. So not going to do that today. Going to stick to the NFL this week, and so again, we have some big time matchups. Uh, I, I think I saw something today that the NFL posted where every single game has at least one team that is still mathematically in playoff contention, which is the first time I think that's ever happened in within the last two weeks of the season. So there are stakes in every single game this weekend. Swell up! Thanks, this week. Sorry, we're dealing with connection issues right now. I apologize. Look at my monitor. It doesn't look great, so I apologize. But we will start with a huge matchup in the NFC between the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are a five and a half point favorite at home. Huge game for both teams. I, again, as I talked about earlier, more so for Dallas because Detroit, they've wrapped up the NFC North. They're feeling good about themselves. First time winning the division in three decades. Honestly, all the Lions have to play for this point are two things. Momentum going into playoffs, and still, if the Niners slip up, the one seed. So that's still in play for the Detroit Lions. For Dallas, 
it's not just momentum. They still have a shot to win the NFC East. They have the same shot to win the NFC East, despite the Miami loss, as they had a week ago. In that, they need Philly to lose, and they need to win their NFC games. Fortunately for Dallas, Miami is not an NFC team, so they still have a shot to do that. The Cowboys, again, five and a half point favorites. I think you are going to see a lot of points in this game, but in very, very different fashions. I think Dak Prescott is going to have a monster, one of his best games of the season. I'm thinking four touchdowns, uh, touchdown passes. CeeDee Lamb's going to have 150 yards receiving. You'll see uh, contributions. Dak's going to get guys like Brandon Cooks, Jalen Tolbert, uh, Jake Ferguson, and others involved. I think you're going to see a lot of downfield passing from the Cowboys. Not a lot in the running game. The beginning Tyron Smith back will be huge for this team. I think given how bad this Lions defense has been as of late, Dak is going to absolutely torch them. For Detroit, I also think they're going to put up a lot of points. I think Jared Goff's going to play well. Don't get me wrong. Jared's had a really, really good season. I think they understand because Ben Johnson, Dan Campbell, two very smart offensive guys are going to see eh, this Dallas defense, not very good stopping the run. Good secondary. I don't love that they don't play press uh, press man-to-man coverage late in games. That's, that's an NFL criticism. That aside. Dallas is not good stopping the run. In their losses, Dallas averages giving up, I think, like 190 rushing yards a game. Somewhere, I, I, that was after the Buffalo game. I'm sure that's been, uh, that, that's different for in the Miami game. So Dallas does not stop the run very well in their losses. Well, lucky for Detroit, they have probably the best offensive line in football and maybe even the best running back duo in the league, Thunder and Lightning, so to speak. Thunder, which is David Montgomery, who's a in-between-the-tackles, hits-you-in-the-mouth type of back, and Jameer Gibbs, who's lightning. Again, I called him the second coming of Alvin Kamara. He looks exactly like that. Twitchy, fast, get him involved in the screen game, run him off tackle. Jameer Gibbs is a special talent. I said that with him coming out of Alabama, and the Lions got an absolute steal in the first round. It's crazy to say that, but they sold this guy in the first round. I think Detroit is going to run the football very effectively against Dallas, uh, try to play ball control. Dallas could be a lot of quick, Drives, getting the ball to CeeDee Lamb and others. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, Rain Dakota Prescott, and I will be saying that in a much lighter tone on Monday's show, will get the job done, lead the Cowboys game-winning drive in a similar form and fashion as the Seattle game. Cowboys win and cover 38-31 to 31 over the Detroit Lions. Cowboys getting much-needed win. Again, only two Super Bowl champions ever. Of the 57 Super Bowl champions, only two have lost three straight games at the end of a season. Looks like we lost our music there for a second. Let's get it back on. There we go. Um, Only two Super Bowl champions have lost three straight games at the end of the season. Dallas does not want that to be the case. I think they will get the W. I still believe in the Detroit Lions, and I maintain this is the NFC title game preview. Next game, even bigger. Bigger. Should have been the Sunday night game, in my opinion. Should have gotten flexed. I don't know if it was try to get flex, if they try to get flexed. Point is... Miami Dolphins, Baltimore Ravens, huge matchup. Baltimore at home, a three and a half point favorite. Both teams coming off of huge wins. Dolphins getting their first win of the season against a team with a winning record, beating Dallas on a walk-off field goal last week at home. As for the Baltimore Ravens, with the state, they got the statement of the season. I say that as a Steelers fan in San Francisco, a red-hot team with a red-hot quarterback and the best roster in the sport came in and kicked their teeth in. And Lamar Jackson for the time being, has taken the MVP lead, at least in my mind, given his performance this year. It's not just a numbers thing with Lamar. It's an overall value thing with Lamar Jackson. So what I'm looking at is the fact that Miami, they've gotten this 
this this um reputation for being a little bit of a finesse team a little bit of a i heard my man chris broussard um shout out to chris i've met him on um, one occasion before uh on first things first it's called them break dancers like they don't want to fight they want to break dance they, they you know they're not a physical team well listen mike mcdaniel pointed this out in the, in the media this week they run the shanahan system which is kind of a hit you in the mouth type of offense. It's a creative, it's the West Coast uh, offense. It's a creative running game. They use, again, similar to the Detroit Lions. They use HN in, in kind of the power running game, and they lose use CJ Mostert more off tackle and in the screen game. Here's the problem for Miami, and I think they can score on this great Ravens defense. The loss of Jalen Waddle is a key one. So that they can take, they can put more attention. Not that they wouldn't have already. Not that the Ravens wouldn't have already, but put more attention onto Tyree Kill because they probably won't believe anybody else can beat them. Whether it's any of Miami's tight ends, whether it's Cedric Wilson, any of their guys. This is going to have to be a game where Tua plays like a top five quarterback. And while I admitted I was wrong on Tua this year, I'm in on Tua as a franchise quarterback. I do not think he's a top ten guy or top five guy. I think Lamar Jackson and the Ravens will continue their uh, their hot streak of offense, get a big time win at home. Ravens win this game, twenty seven to seventeen. They do cover and they lock up the number one seed in the AFC. Ravens win this game, twenty seven to seventeen over the Miami Dolphins. Moving on to our next matchup, what do we got here? We got the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. Big time matchup in the AFC East. The Bills are massive home favorites, minus 14. This was nearly my if I were a betting man game in the sense that I am absolutely taking the Patriots plus 14. Did we just forget the fact that Buffalo, I know everybody loves the Bills right now. I know it looks like I'm probably going to be wrong that this team, I predict them to miss the playoffs before the year. Felt good about that a while ago. Doesn't look like that's going to be the case. But are we just throwing out the fact that with the Bills playing their best football of the year, Went on the road and what was essentially a, still a home game. There were more, more Bills fans than Chargers fans in L.A. that night. Went to L.A. A Chargers team that just fired a tech coach. Justin Herbert's gone for the year. No Keenan Allen. Basically, all their key offensive weapons. Mike Williams has been gone for a while. He's out. Defense for the Chargers is terrible. And it took a walk-off field goal to be Easton Stick at starting quarterback. Not to mention the fact that ever since... Huh, who could have called this? Ever since Bailey Zappi was plugged in at quarterback for the Patriots in over Mac Jones. They have some pretty impressive road wins. They went to my Steelers and won. They went to Denver and won. The Patriots, while they're really screwing themselves over in terms of draft positioning, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, as they should. Bailey Zappi has played relatively clean football. The offensive staff, Bill O'Brien, seems to have more trust in Zappi than they do in Mac. Who wouldn't? Uh, Ezekiel Elliott has, has made big plays in key spots. So I, I like what New England's doing. Again, there's, there's not a very good football team. They will keep it close. Divisional familiarity is a real thing. Yes, Josh Allen owns the Patriots. We know this. But 14, God, for a team that barely survived Easton, Easton Stick and is still not locked into the playoffs yet, is not even leading their division? Yeah, I'm going to go with Buffalo. Not to cover, though. 26-19, Bills win this one. I say they win by half what they're covered. Again, that says 13. They're favored right now by 14. Maybe it'll come back up or go up or come back down. We'll see. The Bills win this game 26-19, but definitely take the Patriots. Plus, whatever your your sports book that you, you, that you bet on says. 13-14. Take the Patriots to the points for the Bills to win this game outright. 26 
tonight, team. Moving on to the Atlanta Falcons taking on the Chicago Bears. This is a do-or-die situation for Atlanta. They're trying to keep pace in that division with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who, which if Tampa Bay wins tomorrow, they I'm sorry, Sunday, they wrap up the division. Atlanta uh, can only hope to compete for a wild-card spot. But nonetheless, Atlanta, massive game for them on the road in Chicago against the Bears team where Justin Fields is playing pretty darn good football. Now, I've said this with Chicago. It's not a very popular opinion, but I believe it to be true that, oh, Justin Fields is playing great. My viewpoint of that is great. That means you can trade him and get even more than you got him. You could have gotten him for a month ago because Caleb Williams is in this upcoming draft. The Bears are going to have the number one pick. You had to take Caleb Williams, okay? It's, it, this, isn't a, this is not even a discussion. You move Justin Fields, take Caleb Williams, and you use your first-round pick, you use your other picks, and do what you will with your football team. But here's something that's very interesting. This Bears defense, which was not good before the season, hey, in the last five games, I'm sorry, four games, this Bears defense has been pretty good. Vikings only scored 10. The great Detroit Lions offense only scored 13. Browns scored 20, but, you know, this is kind of an ugly game that the Bears could have easily won in Cleveland. And then they held the Kyler Murray and the Cardinals offense to 16. So with an Atlanta offense that is starting Taylor Heineke that did have an impressive offensive output last week, again, as ESPN put it brilliantly, I love this comparison, especially as a Warriors fan, the Atlanta Falcons are, because they're not using their key offensive players, guys like Drake London and Kyle Pitts, and, and especially B. John Robinson, the star running back out of Texas who they drafted in the first round this year, them not using them, ESPN, uh, uh, I forget who it was, I, I wish I could give credit to the writer, but I don't remember, pointed out that it would be like if the Golden State Warriors used Andrew Bogut and Festus Azili and ran their offense through those guys rather than the Splash Brothers. That's essentially what the Falcons are doing right now. I love that comparison. I agree with that comparison, frankly. Give me the Chicago Bears to win this one and cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. Bears win 21-14 to over the Atlanta Falcons. They eliminate Atlanta essentially from playoff contention. Uh, I guess the Bears would technically be alive, I think, although their hopes at the playoffs will be quite slim. But Justin Fields continues at least from the standpoint of the Bears, in my estimation, to improve his trade stock, his trade value. Bears win this one at home. My final score, 21-14. to 14. Las Vegas Raiders, Indianapolis Colts. This was almost the Bryson Bleak bet game because this is a tough one. Colts are favored at home, minus three and a half. Listen, Vegas is coming off of a very impressive road win in Arrowhead Stadium on Christmas Day uh, four days ago against the Kansas City Chiefs. Antonio Pierce is looking to to get the to, to have the interim removed off of his job description as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders get the job full-time. He certainly has a compelling case to do just that. I'll talk more about that as time goes on, but as far as this game individually, look, this Raiders defense, which was atrocious before the year, Antonio Pierce, who's a defensive guy, specializes in that side of the ball, takes over. All of a sudden, the Raiders' defense in the last few weeks has been pretty good. They held the Chiefs' offense, which I know has been struggling. But listen, it's still Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and company. And Andy Reid held them to, to, to 14 points. Week before that, they held the Chargers to seven before the fourth quarter. They held the Vikings to three. They lost the game three to nothing, which is just a gut punch. So listen, this the Raiders held the red-hot Dolphins, great Dolphins' offense to 20. So this Raiders' defense, Max Crosby, great pass rush. Uh, it, they're they're playing hard for their interim head coach Antonio Pierce. We know is a former player, so that that does matter in terms of his his his, his candidacy for the full time job with the Raiders. As for the Colts, they suffered what I thought was one of the most shocking losses of last week. I thought for sure the Colts were going to go into Atlanta, win pretty easily, but. That's the thing with low-end starter, high-end backup guys like Gardner Minshew, who I believe is the best of that bunch. 
that's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to have hot games. You have cold games. Shane Steichen has still done a fantastic job with this group. Jonathan Taylor and company. And Michael Pittman as well, who's dealing with some injuries. So you, you have all those components on. This Colts defense has been up and down this season. It's at home. It's in Indianapolis. My gut feeling is take the Raiders and the points. But I will take the Colts to win this game outright. 16-13. to 13, I think it'll be a low-scoring affair. This is a very good Raiders defense, or at least has played very well under Antonio Pierce in the last month, two months. So I, I think Indianapolis, for as good as they've been offensively this year, with their backup quarterback, Gardner Minshew, I think they will have some struggles at times. But give me the Colts outright. 16-13, to 13, but take the Raiders and the three and a half points. This was almost Bryce's with bet, uh, but I decided to leave it off the list. So Colts win 16-13. to 13. Carolina Panthers, Jacksonville Jaguars. This line was at Jaguars minus six and a half. Once it was announced, Trevor Lawrence will not play. It has come down to Jaguars minus four. So a full two and a half points. So evidently Vegas, uh, more than folks on the internet, finds Tre find Trevor Lawrence pretty darn valuable. CJ Beathard is going to make his first start of the season for the Jaguars. He's been a backup quarterback throughout his entire career with the 49ers, now with Jacksonville. And so that factor as well. Listen, for the Carolina Panthers, I understand they played the Packers last week, but that's by far the best Bryce Young has played all season. Bryce Young, again, it's a bad Packers defense, but he still had to go out there and play well, make those throws. Bryce Young had a pass rating of 110 and had 312 yards passing and two touchdowns. So he was clean with the football, did a good job uh, with, with not turning it over. Again, threw for over 300 yards, had a pass rating over 100. So Bryce Young seems to be maybe finding his footing a little bit, which is why I've said... Do not sell your Bryce Young stock yet. He won't be C.J. Stroud. That's He's not going to be that. He doesn't have the physical gifts that C.J. Stroud has. Frankly, he went. He didn't go to as well-put-together roster. as C. am not going to make out the Texas to be a great roster. They're not. C.J. deserves the bulk of the credit. The Carolina Panthers are an objectively terrible roster. Okay, so that matters as well. That and his coach just got fired. Bryce Young's did. So don't sell your Bryce Young stock just yet. Get the kid an offensive line. Get him some legitimate threats at wide receiver. Any skill position, guys then see what he's got. So I liked what I saw from Bryce Young last week. Listen, the Jaguars are paying the price for a mistake that they made. When Trevor Lawrence got hurt against the Cincinnati Bengals, first of all, they couldn't get him couldn't get him a freaking cart to take him to the locker room. Even the Jets could do that with Aaron Rodgers. The play in the next week, beat up with a bad ankle against a, a great Browns defense. They lose. Of course they did. They go and play the Baltimore Ravens at home. Awesome defense, maybe the best in the sport. With a beat up quarterback, they lose, and Trevor gets concussed. The next week, they played the Red Hot Buccaneers, with Trevor, who's coming out of concussion protocol, still with a bad ankle, then he injures his shoulder. Now he's not playing this week. This is peak quarterback mismanagement by the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's not even debatable. So, for that, because of the fact that Bryce Young played well last week, CJ, CJ Beathard in the lineup, give me the Carolina Panthers in the upset. 17 to 16 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. This Jags defense has struggled as of late. Listen, 17 isn't bad to a Carolina Panthers offense that is that is struggling to score the football. That's putting it mildly. That's putting it nicely. 17 points is, is, is quite a lot against this Panthers team. Panthers get the upset, and this isn't even my upset of the week, ladies and gentlemen. The Panthers win 17 to 16 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think the Jaguars are getting punished for a mistake that they made, and that's... This is what happens as a result. This this is what you get if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars and you mismanage your franchise quarterback and what I believe. I'm in the 
ultra minority, but what I believe to be a superstar talent when healthy. Tennessee Titans, Houston Texans, and AFC South battle in Houston. Texans are favored minus four. It does look like the reports are that CJ Stroud is going to come back this week. He missed the last two games in concussion protocol. Looks like he's healthy and ready to go. However, though, the Texans are dealing with a, a plethora of other injuries uh, on their roster. They're missing guys like Sheldon Rankins and Malik Collins on the interior of their defensive line. So defensively, they're, they're reeling a little bit. Joe Flacco and Amari Cooper had a party in Houston last week uh, up going up and down the field on that football team. So the Texans, they need this win, trying to keep pace and potentially still win the AFC South, given how the Jags are struggling now, as I just mentioned, with Trevor down. Tennessee, they're 5-10. and 10, They're out of the playoffs. They're playing with, for, with pride at this point. It does look like Ryan Tannehill is going to make the start this week. At least that's what it appears to be. So listen, Tannehill's a, a nice, solid veteran. I think Derrick Henry will have a solid, uh, solid outing in this matchup. I just feel like right now for Houston, they got embarrassed defensively. They have a defensive head coach in D'Amico Ryans. He will have them ready to go. Having C.J. Stroud back in the lineup is going to work wonders for this team. Give me the Houston Texans to win this one and cover minus four, 24 to 13 over the Tennessee Titans. Get a big divisional win and stay right in the race and I believe take the divisional lead because I think Jacksonville is going to lose. 24 to 13 Texans win this one against the Tennessee Titans. Moving on to the Los Angeles Rams going on the road to the New York Giants. Rams on the road favored at minus five and a half. I really love this line. So listen, the Rams have played about as well as any team in the National Football League in the last month and a half. They're only, they were started three and six. They looked dead in the water, not going to make the playoffs. Now they're sitting here. They're eight and seven. They're in the playoff hunt as we sit here today. Matt Stafford's had a remarkable year. So has Sean McVay. So have guys like Puka Nakua and Aaron Donald, even though he's out of his prime, is still getting triple teams. So that tells you about how, how great of a player he still is. You look at the Rams. Uh, since they started three and six, their only loss in this span came on the road against a team we all kind of generally agree is the best team in the league the Baltimore Ravens. And one could argue they should have won that game due to a missed block of the back call. Like, there were a lot of factors that played against the Rams in that matchup. Props to the Ravens for coming out with the W. But the Rams are playing great. Giants, listen, they're starting Tyrod Taylor this week. Uh, he started a few games this season. He's played okay. He beat the Washington Commanders. Nearly beat the Philadelphia Eagles last week in the city of brotherly love. So you sit there and look at the, new, the Los Angeles Rams. They're hot. The Giants are not. The Giants season has been over for a while now. You could argue since week one when they lost 40 to nothing to Dallas. Rams are surging, and I believe they are a legitimate threat. I'm dead serious, even despite the holes in the roster to win their conference. Give me the Rams 33-20 to 20 over the New York Giants. Stafford plays well. I know it's a West Coast team playing a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. Those tend to favor the East Coast teams. I understand that. But I just think these two for these two teams are going in very, very different directions. The Giants are just looking to build towards next year. Brian Dable is still a great coach. Let's not let's not minimize that or forget that. But the Rams just win this one 33-20 over the New York football Giants. It is now time for my upset of the week. And this, my friends, will be a shocker. Give me the Arizona Cardinals to knock off the Philadelphia Eagles straight up as a 12-point underdog. Arizona wins outright 27-24 to over Philadelphia. And here is why. So I get, listen. Cardinals, it's not been a great week. Hollywood Brown was just put on IR. He's done for the season. Kyler Murray has been in and out of practice due to an illness. He's not feeling totally 100%. He's feeling under the weather. You know who else is feeling under the weather? Not in terms of their sickness or a sickness or an illness. In terms of their performance, the Philly defense. Philadelphia defensively in the last, not, not even just all season long, we can look at that as well. But in the last four games, okay? 
gave up 42 to San Francisco, gave up 33 to Dallas, only gave up 20 to Seattle, but they gave up a 92-yard game-winning drive with under two minutes to go to Drew Locke. And then last week, giving up 25 against the New York Giants. Now, seven of those came off a of pick six. Uh, or six of that came out came off a of pick six by Dory Jackson. See so fact that as well. But listen, the Giants offensively was able were able to put together some solid drives, and that was a game. I came down to the last play of the game on a Hail Mary from Tyler, Tyrod Taylor for the Eagles to barely survive that game. This Eagles team has been living on borrowed time. And by the way, I was in on the Eagles as the best team in football about a month ago. Because I'm like, hey, I know they've gotten lucky. And I acknowledge that at the time against Buffalo, against the Cowboys, against other teams in the past. Washington. But it cannot be ignored or denied. They beat good teams. They beat, good, they beat Kansas City in Arrowhead. They beat the Bills. They were desperate. They beat the Cowboys at home. That's, impre- that's an impressive resume. But your defense is struggling like this, when you go on a three-game winning sh- or losing streak and then you barely survive the Giants, it starts to beg the question, are you kind of frauds like last year's Vikings or the year before that, the Cardinals, or the year before that, my Steelers? Feels like the Eagles are kind of that this year. I believe Dallas is going to win the division. They need the Eagles to lose a game. I believe they will. Once again... Kyler Murray is playing for his job after all. He doesn't want the Cardinals to have a high draft pick to take a quarterback. Arizona wins this one outright. Get 12 is crazy. I get the Cardinals are a good team, but listen, they, those guys play hard for Jonathan Gannon. Kyler Murray's trying to save his job as the full-time starter of the Cardinals. Arizona wins and gets the upset, a massive playoff-altering upset over the Philadelphia Eagles, 27-24. to It's going to happen. Mark it, book it, put it down. Cardinals going to upset the Eagles and shake up the NFC playoff picture big time. Looking back at our games, huge matchup. Huge matchup in the NFC South. Desperation for the New Orleans Saints who go on the road to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are looking, who'd have thought this would be the case, to clinch the division at home in Tampa Bay at Raymond James Stadium led by Baker, Baker, touchdown maker Mayfield. By the way, who I was not big on. I have been a Baker skeptic for some time. But I love the maturity I'm seeing from Baker this year. I love the fact that when he was put in a situation in Tampa where it seemed he was left for dead, looks like we were we were never going to hear from Baker Mayfield again as a starter in the NFL. Here we are in Week 17. He's a win away from clinching the division over a more talented Saints team, I might add, over Derek Carr, who I've been a fan of for a while, but Baker's been way better than Carr. There are reports, rumors, and speculation. Baker's going to get a contract extension for the Buccaneers. Give props where it's due. So listen, Tampa Bay in this game... They're favored, minus two and a half. Uh, so you have that component onto it as well. Uh, I, I like where they're at as a football team in terms of their ability to, to push the ball down the field. Baker's taking a lot of deep shots. Mike Evans has quietly, he's like, he's the most underrated receiver in the sport, I swear. He's had 10,000, 10, 10, 10, 1,000 receiving, uh, receiving yard seasons uh, to start his career, which is unprecedented, I believe, outside of Jerry. I don't know if Jerry did that, but listen, Mike Evans is a fantastic talent. Chris Godwin, the running game has actually shown some life as of late, so if Tampa's able to get that going, maybe they can make some noise in the FC potentially. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, if I could pull up the graphic to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because it is not on my screen right here, but I delay that to say it's my favorite segment of the week. It's called If I Were a Betting Man, take the Buccaneers to cover. The Saints are reeling. The Buccaneers are hot. 
Buccaneers win this one 26 to 20. If I were a Batman, take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus two and a half to beat the New Orleans Saints, who, by the way, I picked to win the division at nine and eight. They would technically do that if they won out, but I will take the Buccaneers to win 26 to 20 over the New Orleans Saints. If I were a Batman, take Tampa Bay minus two and a half. I figured this game was going to be about four, four and a half. Shocked me to see the line. Vegas, just like they can't quit the Bills to a certain extent, they cannot quit the Saints. Tampa Bay wins this one 26-20 and secures their playoff spot. And face and they'll face probably second place, in all likelihood, second place in the NFC East. Got a comment here real quick from Patrick, who's a Cowboys fan. He says, it would bring me joy to see the Eagles cry on Sunday. Uh, I'm here for it. Go Cardinals. I think it's going to happen. I really do. Arizona gets the upset. That'll be the best upset of the week pick that I'll have, I'll have had on the show, and I believe it's going to happen. Let's look at the San Francisco 49ers and the Washington Commanders. This has beat down written all over. I'm not going to BS you guys and, and drag this out. Arizona, I'm sorry, um, San Francisco is favored minus 13.5 on the road against the Washington Commanders team that last I checked is the worst points per game defense given up in all football. Uh, they've simply been atrocious. Ron Rivera, who I really like genuinely as a dude, as a guy, Ron Rivera is going to be fired by the Washington Commanders. On the contrary, the San Francisco 49ers, fresh off a six-game winning streak, getting embarrassed at home on Christmas night on national television, having everybody question Brock Purdy and the defense and Shanahan, everybody. It's my rule in the NFL when I'm picking games. If you have a great team, which the Niners are, I think they're the second-best team in the league to Baltimore, when a great team gets humiliated on national television, take them all day, especially when they're playing a bad team, a reeling team late in the season that has virtually nothing to play for. The Commanders are actually better off losing games at this point. Take San Francisco big, big, big league. 38-16. Niners knocking off the Commanders. Commanders fall to 4-12. Their candidacy to potentially get Drake May increases. Or Michael Penix Jr., for that matter. And the Niners maintain the number one seed in the NFC. They would virtually take Dallas out of the mix for the one seed. Although Detroit, although, of course, I think Detroit's going to lose. So Detroit would be out of it. So I think the Niners might actually clinch the one seed. Then again, that's Phil. They got to hope for some losses with Philadelphia as well. But then again, they also control their destiny. Big game for the Niners. That's short to say. They will win this one 38 to 16. They'll win pretty comfortably over the Commanders. We've got a comment here. Yeah, Patrick says 42 to 13 Niners. It is going to be a beatdown. Washington's defense is bad. Niners' offense is great, and they just got embarrassed to take the Niners to cover. Even though it's a big spread, it's an appropriate spread. Niners win big. All right. It is now time for Bryson's Bleak Bet. This was a doozy. It's the one game every week that I have absolutely zero confidence in predicting. But hey, you got to predict all the games, at least the way I do it on the show, predicting all 272. There's always that one game that you don't feel so great about, but you got to do it. And it involves my team. Pittsburgh Steelers go to Seattle. Two eight and seven teams, two teams jockeying for playoff positioning. This is a much bigger game for Pittsburgh in terms of the playoff seeding than it is for the Seahawks. If the Seahawks lose, they're still in a, in a position to make the playoffs, depending on what happens with Green Bay and Minnesota later in the day. As for Pittsburgh, we lose this game. It's it's basically it's it's done so uh, to win to get into a, a playoff spot in the AFC as competitive as it is. Buffalo looks like they're probably going to take that six seed, but Cleveland's going to be the five seed. Worst case scenario. So everybody, Indianapolis, Houston, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati. Really, those four teams are jockeying for that seven spot. Uh, Houston's looking to win their division. We'll see what happens with Jacksonville as well. Steelers absolutely have to win this game. I have. For as much as I love Mike Tomlin, believe he's the first bout Hall of Famer, 
and respect him tremendously as a leader uh, and a game planner, especially how he has this defense ready to play week in and week out. I have criticized him this season and in years past, certainly at least since I've become a Steelers fan uh, this year, a, a future lifelong Steelers fan, no doubt about it. Go Steelers. But Mike Tomlin's inability to adjust to the modern offensive game leaves me a, bit, a little bit worried, a little bit concerned. Is he evolving with the times? Well, last week, Mason Rudolph comes in, uh, puts together a better performance than any of Kenny Pickett's combined and any of, certainly any of Mitch Trubisky's definitely combined. He comes in, Against a good Cincinnati Bengals defense coached by Lua Maruno. Comes in, drops 34 points. Leads three straight touchdown scoring drives in the first half. And in totality, Mason Rudolph, who's been a career backup in this league, started some games in 2019 at a pass ring of 124. Steelers' first 30-point game of the year. Loved every second of it. It was a great Christmas gift for me as a Steelers fan. But you go on the road to Seattle. It's a tough place to play. Geno Smith, Pete Carroll, that entire group feeling big, feeling good about themselves after a big road win against Tennessee. Seattle's favor minus three and a half. I don't know. Again, this is why it's Bryce's leak bet. I don't totally trust this pick, but I'm going to close my eyes. Wentz and take the Steelers 23 to 20 over Seattle. Listen, Mason Rudolph has looked better than any of the other Steelers quarterbacks this year. It's a Super Bowl rematch, by the way, from Super Bowl 40, I believe it was. Jerome Bettis went out with a ring. Shout out to the bus. Hall of Famer. If I come in on Monday show depressed because the Steelers lost, y'all won't be shocked. I won't be shocked. My gut tells me the Steelers are going to pull out this win, though. My gut tells me we're going to win. We better play in Baltimore next week. Price and bleak bet. Steelers win 23-20. to 20 over the Seattle Seahawks. Los Angeles Chargers, Denver Broncos. You got Easton Stick versus Jarrett Stidham. It's about as interesting as one might think. Broncos are favored at home, minus three and a half. So listen, the Chargers have mailed it in for the season. Justin Herbert's gone for the year for, uh, with injury. Brandon Saley finally was fired. It was let go a couple of weeks back after giving up 63 to Aiden O'Connell and the Raiders. But they go on the road. Divisional familiarity, that factors in as well. We saw Jarrett Stidham last year albeit different playbook, but in Vegas with Josh McDaniels, a head coach, against the 49ers defense. Go out there and take the game to overtime. Match Brock Purdy, throw for throw. This is a guy in Jarrett Stidham who's been a solid backup throughout his career. Again, very similar in some ways to Mason, excuse me, to Mason Rudolph. He's got his weapons. He's got Cortland Sutton. Uh, he's got the running game. Solid offensive line in Denver. It's a team, the Broncos team, that is still mathematically in play for a playoff spot. The Chargers are, of course, out. I think Jarrett Stidham, in place of Russell Wilson, will play relatively well. The Broncos' offense will click. Sean Payton, we know the great offensive mastermind he is. They're at home. I feel pretty good about this one. Take the Broncos 27-20 and to cover, of course, minus 3.5. Broncos win over the rival Chargers 27-20 to to keep their playoff hopes still alive going into the final week of the regular season. Broncos win 27-20. to And it's I, can't, I guess I can't really say let's ride because uh, there will be no ride. With Russell Wilson gone. Cincinnati Bengals, Kansas City Chiefs. Big matchup on New Year's Eve. And this was one that was uh, the NFL schedule makers put this in. Probably assuming that it was going to be obviously be Burrow versus Mahomes. But also, who knows? Maybe it would have decided the one seed in the AFC. Which, of course, will come down to either the Ravens or the Dolphins this weekend. But nonetheless, the Bengals are still alive. In large part due to the play of Jake Browning and this, this Bengals defense. Which struggled badly against my Steelers last week. Meanwhile, you got Kansas City, who is a seven-point favorite. Listen, Vegas is... I'm sorry, six-and-a-half-point favorite, I should say. Vegas still loves Kansas City. If you notice the Chiefs, if you look at historically in the Mahomes era, they don't cover much in large part because they're always big favorites. 
personally, six and a half doesn't feel right to me. Four and a half feels feels a lot better. Feels a lot more comfortable if you were to bet this game uh, this week. But so, well, coach defense, Lou Maruno. Uh, this is a Kansas City offense that seemingly cannot get anything going to pass the game. The receivers, we criticize them. Christian, I'm not Christian Watson, Justin Watson, and Kadarius Tony, who's not playing this week, and Sky Moore. You guys can't catch the ball. Well, last week they said, okay, we won't catch the ball because we won't even get open. Meanwhile, the offensive line cannot protect Mahomes against the likes of Max Crosby and company of the Raiders. We know that the uh, that the Bengals with with Trey Hendricks, uh, Hendrickson is top five in sacks. He's top five in sacks, so this Bengals defense can get after the quarterback. This Kansas City offense is struggling. I just have it's against a gut feeling thing this part of the season when you have teams that are struggling as of late. This Kansas City team desperately needs this win. They still have to clinch the AFC West, which is an underrated story. The Raiders are still technically alive for that, albeit their chances are slim. The Chiefs are at home. They've been ripped by the media all week, understandably so. Mahomes um, with the two turnovers that really cost them against the Raiders. I think it's down to the wire. It's dicey. It's close. Nance and Romo on the call. And the Chiefs do not cover. Six and a half is just too much for me for, for Kansas City this week. It's too much. Cincinnati, take them pl- uh, plus six and a half. Maybe Kansas City gets an offensive explosion and they get to rest their starters next week as they'll be locked in for the three seed. I don't know. But I think it's going to be closer than most Chiefs fans will be comfortable with. And Kansas City will win this one 24-22 to over the, I guess, rival at this point, Cincinnati Bengals, Kansas City 24, Bengals 22. One last match before we get out of here. It's an NFC North tilt and really an elimination game in, in many respects between the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings only a point favorite at home. Uh, despite Again, despite being at home, Jaron Hall is going to make his second start of the season. You're like, who's Jaron Hall? Well, he's a rookie out of BYU who started against the Atlanta Falcons about midway through the season after Kirk Cousins went down. But Jaron Hall got concussed early on, and this guy by the name of Joshua Dobbs, Space Dobbs, came in and won that game for the Vikings. And my man Joshua Dobbs' run uh, came to an end uh, after about three, four games, three, four, five games, it was it was it was tough to watch as, as a Josh Joshua Dobbs fan. It just it was not it was not good. But Jaron Hall is coming in. As for the Green Bay Packers, it's I saw Pro Football Focus uh, put out a a, a a stat today, or a, yeah, stat today, saying that if the Packers won this game, they'd have a sixty two percent chance to make the playoffs going to next week's final game against the Bears. If they lose this game, they have a two percent chance, and let's be honest, no chance to make the playoffs going into week uh, week 18. So this is a massive, massive game in the NFC North. It's the last game, last football game in the calendar year 2023. So hopefully we go out with the bang uh, this year. Listen, Justin Jefferson dealing with injuries, but I just have a feeling this Packers defense is bad, bad, real bad. Not Michael Jackson bad. It isn't like a good bad. It's bad. And Baker Mayfield, who's had a great year, he's not perfect passer rating good. He had that against the Packers. Bryce Young, who... Looks like the biggest bust ever. Well, I haven't sold my Bryce Young stock yet. Looks like the biggest bust ever. Hung 30 on this Packers defense. Jair Alexander dealing with suspension. There's distraction in the building. I like what Jordan Love has shown over the last month and a half. I'm still not totally bought into him as the long-term answer. And I like this Vikings defense led by Brian Flores. I think the Vikings offense will get going. Even with the rookie quarterback who the Packers don't really have a whole lot of film on. Smart offensive coach Kevin O'Connell. Give me the Vikings to win this one. 31-21 over the Green Bay Packers. And Cheesehead Ozzie may very well make an appearance to start the new year. 
Vikings close out the calendar year 2023 with a W, 31-21 over the Packers, in virtually eliminating Green Bay from playoff contention and at least keeping the Vikings in the mix, although they will play Detroit next week. But Minnesota, 31, Packers, 21 in Week 17 as we end 2023, the year of our Lord. Okay, let's look at, do we have this? No, it doesn't. Do we have the bleak bet if I were? Okay. Let me pull up the Eagles game real quick before we get out of here so I can go and look back over the upset of the week. Where is it? There it is. Okay. So my Bryson's bleak bet game involves my team, the Steelers. I don't feel it. I don't have a ton of confidence when we win this game, but for some odd reason, I feel like we'll hang in there. And the defense will get make some plays. Geno Smith has struggled with the turnovers, especially down in the red zone. I think Joey Porter or Patrick Peterson gets one of those. And the Steelers win this game 23-20. That's my Bryce's Bleak bet game. My uh, If I Were a Batman game. Do we have it? Okay, we don't have the If I Were a Batman game yet. Uh, my upset of the week is a big one. I got the Cardinals going to Philly and really messing up the Eagles' chances. Forget the one seed just for the NFC East title, which I think Dallas is going to ultimately steal, that I, which I predicted before the season. Cardinals win this game in the upset of the week. And finally, in the my favorite segment of the week, every single time I'm predicting the NFL. If I were a Batman, take the Buccaneers minus two and a half. Over the over the Saints to clinch the NFC South and win twenty six to twenty. Buccaneers win this one. Baker Mayfield's been such a good story. I, I again, I have been a Baker skeptic for years now since he came into the NFL at Oklahoma. But his maturity, coming into a tough situation, and forget making the most out of it, getting Tampa Bay to the playoffs with the win on Sunday. I think he's going to do it, and he's been an easy guy to root for this season. So shout out Baker Mayfield. Respect, respect. All right, almost two hours of of NFL and some NBA with the Warriors. Fun, fun show today. Had a blast. That is all my time after today's show. Appreciate you, everybody, tuning in. Tune in on Sunday, Sunday morning. I think we're going to air this at 9 a.m. Eastern. The Carving It Up year-end special. So looking back at this last year in sports, looking at the last year on Carving It Up. Some of my takes, the best moments on the show, the best moments in sports, the best athletes in sports. Very, very excited to do that show. Catch us at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Sunday, New Year's Eve, before all the games, all the NFL games, and before my man. I, I, I want to go and get the show in uh, and let my, my, my man Ryan Flowers have the spotlight, have the solo show for 11 a.m. Eastern, which is when his show begins, his NFL kickoff show, uh, Clutch Sports Talk. Please, please go check out my man Ryan Flowers stuff Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. My show will be live, or not live, at 9 a.m. Eastern, a 2023 year-end special for Carving It Up. Definitely stay tuned for that. And I'll be back on my regular show, the first show of 2024, on Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time on Twitter and on YouTube. Same place you can find me where I'm at right now. I'm doing that because I want to see my Vols at, at 1 and then the two college football playoff games at around 5 o'clock and 9 o'clock. So I want to check those out and get my show in before that and recap what I, I anticipate will be a great weekend in the National Football League. And the return, by the way, of the Vol View before the season ends with my Vols taking on Iowa. So tune in. I know that was a lot, but... Tune in to the Carving It Up year-end special on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern on Twitter and on YouTube. Also, be sure to catch Carving It Up, uh, the regular our regular episode of Carving It Up, on Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. I'm sorry, 8 a.m. Pacific time 
on Twitter and on YouTube. So we got back-to-back morning shows, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Very, very excited about both. We'll catch y'all then. Also, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. We're trying to get to 1,000, 1K subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. So very, very excited to continue this this chase toward 1,000. Those who have subscribed, I cannot thank y'all enough for what's been a great year for this show. The growth has been unbelievable. The connections I built through the show have been amazing. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate y'all, uh, y'all's love and support. If you have not subscribed, please hit that big red subscribe button and, and, and join the Carving Up family. If you have, again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Please tell your friends about it, your family about it, everybody you know about it, okay? Tell the guy changing your oil about it, about carving it up. Very, very, very fun. Had a great, great year. Again, we'll see y'all. It's my last time talking to y'all live in 2023 of a year in special on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. Pacific and be back for carving it up live on Monday morning. See y'all then. Two hours of a fun show today. Had an absolute blast. See y'all on Monday. Stay safe out there. Uh, be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. It's a big, big problem we have. And we need to address this coming into this coming year. Huge problem we've got to address. All right. I'll see y'all. I'll see y'all live in 2024. I'll see y'all for the last 2023 episode of Carving It Up at 9 a.m. Eastern at 6 a.m. Pacific time. The Carving It Up 2023 year in special. We do it every year. We're going to do it this year. Very excited. So stay tuned for that. See y'all then. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. And who knows, the Warriors may win the championship next year. Who knows? Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.